Hey, welcome to the 297th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about John Burns, Fantastic Four from 1985. Um, sometimes I'm going to talk about a movie soon and a random comic topic. So we'll, we'll see. I This week... I feel like I should do the next Fantastic Four issue because it was kind of a cliffhanger. We'll see. Maybe. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is fko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is happening on this week's episode? We have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, we have a new show on Prime called Citadel. It's a it's a, it's a spy show, and uh, my my little hesitation is I'm like a week behind. So as you listen to this now, the third episode's out. I'm going to talk about the first two. So we'll just have to. It'll give you time to catch up if you're watching it, planning on watching it. Uh, we got Titans. We got the Flash. We got uh, Superman, Lois comics and uh news so let's just jump right into it um not a whole lot of news it seems like uh jim lee this comic book news start with that he's been named the president of dc comics which i think is awesome i think jim lee's a really cool guy super nice guy um i've always enjoyed talking to him and so he's he's a president he's a publisher he's a cco so so congrats to him superman legacy movie news there's going to be no casting news until probably summer, and I think it's because James Gunn is promoting Guardians of the Galaxy now and everything like that. So, you know, they're not really doing anything. They're not going to put out any news. They're, they're kind of putting on, on – I'm sure they're still working, doing some fine-tuning, but they're not overly moving forward at this moment. So, in other words, if, if there's any, like, rumors that are kind of squeaking out or whatever, they're, they're not true because they're not, not talking. They're not even there. They're – yeah, so it's always funny when people start coming up with all these rumors, and he's like, "Nope, it's like we haven't even thought about that yet." And so, just always take that with a grain of salt. I've been seeing a lot, lot more rumors lately on on a couple different, uh, you know, sites. I, it's always just weird because uh, you know when something leaks out, people want to talk about it. You know, if, if there's breaking news, you know, you can't just ignore it. But the problem is, is it official or not? And uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's always a sticky situation, and I'm always like flabbergasted when stuff leaks out because I've mentioned in the past where I've been told things in confident confidence, <laughs> but I would never leak it because you know if if you do that, then you lose the contact because you know the, the person could get in trouble because you know they're like, well, how'd you find out? Who's your source? And and when you do that, you also run the risk of well, then you know they. And it, it maybe doesn't matter, but it's like if 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 I had like Marvel Studios news and I leaked it, Marvel Studios might be like, hey, you know, we're we're not going to give you. I don't get anything from Marvel Studios. You know, I don't, I don't get any press. I don't pursue any like press coverage, contacts, you know, interviews or stuff like that. You get what I'm saying? It's just it's such a sticky situation. So whenever there's rumors, just just 
be be careful. <laughs> you know, it's not always always true. Um, just for for example, um, this was weird. I, I actually saw saw someone had posted uh, poison ivy casting news, like with a Hollywood Reporter headline and everything like that. And they asked James Gunn about that, and he's like, "That's not even a real headline." You know, so someone had gone to the trouble to actually make like a fake Hollywood Reporter news site saying that I forgot who it was. Some some actress was cast as Poison Ivy, and and he's like, "No." So I just I don't understand that, but that's what people do, I guess. Jason Momoa. So apparently, I think he I I think it was he wrote like a fifty page treatment for Aquaman two. I, did they ask him to do that? I, I, don't, I don't know. Because apparently they're not using his story. And I think he's kind of like not super happy about that. You know, my, my question is, how was it? You know, it, it could have been good. And I think there's some stuff about like climate change or whatever. And, and maybe they're just like, while that's all important and great and awesome. I mean, is, is this, it may not make for like the best superhero movie. You know, if you're trying to get the action going and, and stuff i don't know but it just i i'm just curious it's like did they say hey you want to you know put put down your your thoughts <laughs> to write 50 pages it just seemed i don't know i really don't know what, what's going that just seemed weird to me there's a, a rumor about margot robbie not at dc so you know when we think margot robbie we think uh harley quinn but I have no idea how even closely possibly credible this is, but there's a possibility that she may be considered, may have offered, maybe in a running, or I don't even know. Maybe someone's just like, hey, maybe Margot Robbie, and they've never even talked to her. But there's a possibility of her as Sue Richards, I um, which I, I love Margot Robbie. I think she is an amazing, amazing actor. She, she's just great. But like, would she want to commit to that? You know, and and you know, the question is, is she going to do more Harley Quinn? And you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a different you know comic book thing. You know, I, I, some maybe some agents would be like, oh, you know, be careful with that. You don't want to get you know shoehorned. But I feel like she's done so much other stuff while being Harley that she shouldn't be worried about it. And if it's something she enjoys, and so I, I think it'd be cool because you know Sue riches obviously is a you know visible woman's amazing character and you know they want to play her right and having someone like margot robbie could really show that she's a strong character and not you know and that's that's what i that's what i'm trying to get at with the secret podcast with the, the john byrne comics because john byrne I, th I feel like he did a lot to elevate sue's position because you know she was the invisible girl for the longest time so we'll, we'll see but th apparently Along with all these crazy rumors and stuff like that, they're talking about stuff with with the the thing that they're they're considering male and female actors to play the thing. <laughs> and apparently, I did I read this wrong? Mila Kunis was supposedly being a top contender considered or something like that. I don't know. I mean, but I guess when you look at the thing, it's they're probably going to be CG, right? I don't think they're going to do like practical. I mean, I don't think, they're not going to put Mila Kunis in like a big giant thing suit. Uh, I, I don't know. And and again, I think Mila Kunis. I don't know her. I've never met her. I've never seen. But she seems like super cool, and and she's she's funny, and and I, she's great, and all the stuff. I mean, like you see Black Swan. I mean, that's like not that seventy show. You know, just, there's she's got layers and stuff. I. As much as I, I think she's cool, 
I, I don't think I'd want her as a thing. I, I, no offense. I want the thing to be the thing. I want, you know, I want to see Ben Grimm, not, not Betty Grimm. We'll see. I don't know. But who knows? Um, we'll trust that they know what they're doing. There was a trailer for Dune Part 2. Eh, I'm not super excited for this. I don't know. I mean, I, I probably should watch the first one again. But, I, you know, I, I it's so, so many amazing, great actors in, in that movie. But it didn't wow me. You know, I the books were, were fine. You know, I listened to the audio books. And, you know, watching the original movie again, um was you know interesting and in, in comparing it to this movie but i'm just not super duper excited and it just you know these movies seem very ambitious you know with with just all, all the the costumes and the you know, locations or the blue screens or whatever they're doing and it just seems like there's so much but i don't know i'm just i'm not super duper excited about it but uh, Hopefully that'll change. So that's out November third. I mean, the trailers, you know, looks looks cool and all. It's 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 more the same and moving the story along. So maybe you know it'll get a little more exciting because now things are being more developed. You know, did we even see the the sandworms in the first one? I don't even remember. The Last of Us season two apparently is quote unquote months away from starting production, starting filming. Um, so they they haven't yet. So hopefully that means sooner rather than later. Again, another rumor, Spider-Man forward are saying, oh, that might be happening, you know, again, sooner rather than later. There may be an announcement this year, maybe not. You know, is Sony going to have a panel at Comic-Con or not? And who who knows? Um, so it's like the, the date that I saw was like August 2025. Um, so we're at 23, so two years, which it seems far off, but I'm sure it'll, you know, come by sooner. Speaking of Spider-Man. Just moving on to actual news. Across the Spider-Verse, two hours and 20 minutes. So this makes it, you know, the longest animated feature, which is, is cool. But it's crazy to think that this is part one. I I was kind of assuming, uh, you know, assume, yeah, assuming, key is the emphasis word, that the reason this was part one is because they weren't quite finished with the story. You know, and and rather than delay it, they're like, okay, let's 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 do enough here. We can cut it off here, and then we'll we'll pick it up and finish. But maybe it just it, it just got bigger and bigger, and then they're to the, have a two hour and twenty minute movie, and then they're like, yeah, we're not done yet. So there's a lot more. That's awesome. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I, I I can't wait. Uh, it was just going to be interesting. I don't know how this is going to do with the little kids, and it's going to kind of. It's going to kind of suck if you're seeing this in a theater full of kids and then the kids start getting antsy in that. Because, you know, you, you can't help – kids can't help it. You know, they, they their attention span is, is just what it is. Hopefully they would be engrossed enough. But I don't even know. I mean, it, some parts might be a little intense. I don't know. Is it PG or is it PG-13? Probably PG. So we'll see. So if you have little kids – and if you're super excited, don't try to force your excitement, your enthusiasm on your kids. Let them get excited. You know, you don't you don't want to force your fa- your fandom on them because that's you know I I never did that with my daughter. She gravitated towards it, which again was awesome, was great. But I would never say, hey, let's do this. And you know, you you, you try to gauge it. And you know, seeing you know taking your your young one to see a Spider-Man movie might be super awesome. You know, to bond and share that moment, but can they they handle two hours and 20 minutes and you know maybe they can't just wait till it comes you know streaming or digital or you know something like that so 
you know, for their sake, for their enjoyment, your enjoyment, and for everyone else's enjoyment. So we'll see about that. Apparently, there's going to be a Blair Witch sequel. I'm trying to remember how the the, the recent Blair Witch movie was. Because I know I saw it. I'm pretty sure I saw it. But I'm, I'm trying to even remember how it was compared to the other ones. So at Lionsgate, they're doing another one. And I guess Oliver Park is, is going to be directing it. So... I, I guess I'm down with that. You know, just do it right. I just wish I remembered. I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the last one. I, I think I kind of liked it. I think I did like it. I don't remember. Um, there's also going to be another Final Destination movie. Final Destination 6? I I know for a fact I did not watch five Final Destination. I don't even know if I've seen more than two. I They're always kind of fun or you know as fun as these movies can be but i don't remember seeing that many so it's going to be called final destination six bloodlines and i guess it starts filming this summer so there's that and then uh the last bit of news like i said not a whole lot of news this week i I don't know if i'm just missing everything but they announced uh um secret invasion the disney plus show it is going to be six one hour long episodes so six-hour feature. So that that's cool. You know, yeah, it'd be great. You know, we, you want more as much as possible because we're greedy and we, we just want to keep going. So it's like, why not eight episodes? Why not 12 episodes? Why not 100? Which wouldn't happen. But, yeah, so um, six hours. I mean, again, six hours is better than two and a half hours, you know, if it was a movie. So I'm, I'm down with that. And hopefully you're down with all that because uh, that is the news going down the drain because the news is over. That's the news for the week. All right, with comics, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I did not read everything that I would have normally read. It's just, I, and I, I guess I think the, the main reason, not to place blame or anything like that, you know, it, things are busy. Things are, it was crazy, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff going on at school, you know, standardized testing and just getting things ready. And, you know, there's just a month left of school and everything, whatever. Uh, also, I, I watched you know two to two episodes of, of Citadel, so you know just like watching those and everything like that. That you know takes time, and I know you're maybe saying it's like oh that's just two hours, but you know I, obviously I, I I'm taking some notes. You know I, I'm not like memorizing everything, so you know I'm jotting some things down and pausing. So it takes me longer than two hours to watch two hours of, of a programming, and it always just it makes I always feel bummed when I don't read all the comics I normally read, and uh, you know I will. I have to remember to read them because like uh, at Image Comics, you know, one comic is uh, I Hate This Place, issue eight. I didn't read issue seven. And because I remember when I, it, it came, was out, came out or when, when I was, not when it came out, when I went to go read it, I was like, you know, I think I remember I didn't read issue seven. So I had to read that. So this series, um, I, I do recommend the series. It, it's it's pretty weird. It's pretty funky. You know, we had this these two ladies, this this couple, they inherit, or one of the ladies inherits this farm. They go there. At night, there's, like, ghosts outside. There's this room full of videotapes and, like, weird stuff. So, it's, so there's something going on with these ghosts and everything. But there's also, like, other, like, creatures and monsters outside. With this second story arc, we found out the other wife, the other lady, her past. I mean, she had, like, this very intense father who I don't I want to necessarily get into, like, his whole background because I don't want to, like, give you know, too much away, but there is like a lot that, you know, she kind of had to like escape from, from her past. And then 
that comes up. So now he's involved in, you know, throwing the poop at the fan or does that even make sense? No one throws it at the fan. But then there's like this portal and I'll guess I'll spoil this. And so one of them goes through it and they're like in the future. And then it's like, Hey, what? So things, things are, are pretty funky. So this is a definitely an interesting uh, series. There was a blood tree issue four. so blood tree this is a, a series by Peter Tomasi. He's, he does the write, the writing. He does the write. Um, these two detectives, you know, there's a serial killer that his victims, he, he puts, he like kind of attaches wings to them. And like these are legit made wings from like real goose feathers and stuff like that. So he's very meticulous with how, he, how he's doing all this. It's like that's a crap load of feathers you have to get. And what it turns out, like, you know, trying to figure out, like, why is he choosing these people? Why is he killing these people? He's killing family members of, like, killers. So it seems like his his thinking is, well, if this person was a killer, there's probably something in their genes or their genetics or whatever like that. So that means other people related to that killer probably have that same killer gene. So if this one killer is convicted or whatever, you know, put on death, 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 uh, death sentence, death, death row. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. Oh, goodness. So basically the idea is if, if someone killed, it's probably there's something in their, their genes, their, their genetics. So that means everyone else in their family is probably has the same potential, even if they've never showed any indication. Yeah. So um, the, so they're, they're, they're narrowing down on who this killer is. But then in this issue... A pretty pretty big uh, monkey wrench gets thrown into things uh, to kind of stir things up. So things are getting kind of crazy. Um, just to keep on your radar, there was a Department of Truth conspiracy deluxe hardcover. So this would be really cool to to get. I have I haven't seen what this looks like. It's fifty dollar um, book, but it has seventeen issues. This has just been such a crazy awesome like intense and bonkers series i mean I, I i super duper highly recommend that if you haven't read that it's like oh goodness um i just realized uh love ever everlasting issue seven came out it's like how did i not read that part two see now here's one now that i think about it i don't know if i've read issue six because every week like because I, I always get this title mixed up with something else there's this other i forget what it's called but i don't think i read i don't know if i read issue six so, but anyways, issue seven's out. Um, this is by Tom King and Elsa Chartier. I absolutely love this. Her, I love the art. I mean, it's it's so good. And this has been like this woman. She's like it's like romance comics, like the old school romance comics. But then like something happens and things kind of get dark, and she gets killed, and then she's like back in this other story. So it's like, what is going on? There's something with that. Um, oh man, I say I guess I didn't finish. All, I thought I read everything at, at Image because I always try to read Image, and then you know, then I try to go in order. I guess I didn't read Radiant Black issue twenty four. Oh, there's also man. <laughs> See, I'm I'm really really bummed. There's a a new comic that came out. I've, I've got to try to remember to, to mention this next week. If I don't, I, I mean I should read it. Star Signs number one. So this is by Saladin Ahmed, who um, did uh, Miles Morales. So this is a uh, constellations of the zodiac fall to Earth, granting twelve ordinary people from very different walks 
of life, the superhuman powers of the star signs. But each of them is about to learn that power always comes with a price. So, um, exciting new series about astrology, superpowers, and diverse found family and attrition of X-Men and heroes. Uh, it could be good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued, but uh, I forgot to, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, ho like I said, hopefully I'll remember to, to get to that. Um, at DC, I read most of what, I, there's a couple things I didn't read that I would have normally read. Joker to Man Who Stopped Laughing, issue eight. I'm, I'm just, I'm so, I, I, it, this is kind of going on a little long, but the fact that we have these different Jokers, I'm like, what, what is going on? Why, do, who, who's the real Joker? Because we have a Joker in Gotham and a Joker like in L.A. And, you know, one's supposed to be an imposter. If, if, if it's a matter of like Jeff John's three Jokers idea, I'm 100% down with that because I don't, as much as I would love it, I don't think that that was in full continuity. I mean, I'm pretty sure. And I, I don't know why I'm saying it so hesitantly, but it's, it's pretty clear that it wasn't. It was supposed to be, but then I think they kind of pushed it a little bit. Was it Black Label? I think it was. I don't even remember. I don't remember anything. Uh, but this, it's just, it's a weird story because, you know, one's, I, I, I can't even keep to figure out who would be the real Joker, and maybe neither of them are. And I, I yeah, so. And then the backup stories are just so weird and bonkers. It's like, okay, this, this is, these are, have to be pure imaginary stories. And, and it's almost, they kind of have a, like the, the 50s, 60s weird bonker, you know, vibes going on where crazy things would happen. And then I think they were just kind of brushed under the rug. It's like, you don't really worry about the continuity back then. I don't know. Uh, Flash to, or 798. <laughs> okay. The thing that, that really bugs me so much here, first page, Wally and Linda, their their new kid is born. You cannot do that in comic books. So, because I feel like it wasn't that long ago when she discovered she was pregnant. Unless they want to say, if, if this was the case, if it had something to do with like speed powers, that it wasn't a nine-month pregnancy, okay, fine, I, I'll accept that. But I don't think that was ever necessarily mentioned unless I missed it. But it's just, you can't do that. Because, you know, we want these characters to stay young as long as possible. So, you know, you may start reading about Wally West when you're like 15. And then when you're 30, he's relatively the same age, you know, maybe a tiny bit older. Because that's just how it goes. We want these characters to have that longevity. So they have a new kid. <laughs> And I don't, I don't, I don't understand how. Um, so then, there's also this big experiment going on with uh, Mr. Terrific at his, his his business, whatever. So Wally goes there, but then something happens. There's a big explosion, and Our Man shows up. So is this the same Our Man from Lost Children, from Jeff Johns and Todd Knock, and um, and then oh, because uh, Granny Goodness. Of all people, spoilers. I don't know if this is in this solicits. Granny goodness steals the baby, which is horrible the way it happens. Man, so they they got to get the kid back, but this is yeah. And and why is why is she just is it because it's a Flash's kid or is it just random, just big coincidence? I don't know. There's a new Shazam series, which again. I didn't. I totally missed the news on this. 
it's Mark Wade and Dan Mora. So my thing is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. These are, 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 the, are the two that are working on World's Finest. Does that mean that they're not working on, on World's Finest still? Or does that mean that Dan Mora, because no way Dan Mora can do two monthly books. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that that's, that would be very, very hard. And, you know, we we wouldn't want to see an artist, like, kind of, you know, zipping through. and But uh, so we, we get, you know, there's this Shazam story. And it it's very interesting the way it's told. Because in some ways, it almost seems like it's it's like a revamp. Because, you know, we, we have this uh, whatever, you know, Dawn of Tomorrow. Is that what they're calling it? I don't even remember. But it's, so in some ways, it kind of feels Dawn of D.C., it feels like they're kind of resetting some things, but then there's also like strong indications like, no, it's not reset that, you know, this is still, you know, many, many things have happened already. So it's just kind of weird with how I, was like, I, I don't really know how to, how to take that. But Mark Wade does a great job with, with, with Billy Bats and with Shazam and just, you know, because there is mention the fact that like the family lost to powers because, you know, it used to be the Shazam family or the Captain Marvel family, whatever you want to call them. And now, you know, he's the only one that has the powers. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's a little weird like that. And I guess you just have to not really worry and focus so much on that. But uh, this is just really good. And there is also, <laughs> you know, there's a the whole thing. I, I, I thought it was funny. He's like, okay, his name is, Shaz- he's going by Shazam now because they can't call him Captain Marvel. But how is he going to introduce himself? Because if he says, hi, I'm I'm Shazam, and then he turns into Billy Batson. And they're like, what? Billy, where'd you come from? And then there is a, I think they kind of switched it. They're like, well, there, the intention has to be there. You know, you have to, so you're saying the words and you're, you're wanting to change from, you know, one form or the other. But, uh, so now they're starting to call him the captain or just captain. It's, they can't call him Captain Marvel, but it's just kind of weird. So it, this was was a good series. I, I like that. Um, Poison Ivy. I don't think I read this, and I'm on the fence with this this series. You know, I I like Poison Ivy, but just um, with the, the the virus. You know, at first she's going to try to kill everyone. It's like, how can you kill everyone? And then you know, what about Harley? You're going to kill her, turn her into a plant, and. And then she's like, well, maybe I shouldn't. But then somehow the infection is still out there. So, yeah, I don't know what what, what happened in this issue. Um, there's also a Peacemaker issue. Peacemaker tries hard. I didn't get to that. Um, Dawn of DC, We Are Legends Special Edition. That is just a, like a, I'm pretty sure there's all reprints. So it's introducing City Boy, <laughs> Spirit World, individual so yeah i'm pretty sure these were all told in in some of the other books because spirit world we have this woman's like wait where'd you come from you got this big sword and you're acting like you know this isn't your first rodeo and then batgirl gets involved uh which which is cool but it's like wait what does that mean for batgirl series if is batgirl gonna be there there's city boy <laughs> which i think is a weird name uh and then the vigil yeah so i'm not super excited about these new characters and i get the the desire to create new characters, but I also feel like there are so many characters out there already and many of them are getting pushed to the side. So I don't know. Um, then there is Batman and the Joker deadly duo issue seven. I I'm assuming that's not the final issue. I didn't read this one this week. I didn't get to it, but yeah. I, and 
I've, I've fallen off it a little bit. You know, I was excited at the beginning. I thought it was cool, you know, Mark Silvestri's art. But, yeah, I didn't read this one. And then there's a Batman 135. This was apparently also issue 19. But basically the, the main story is... Batman in this alternate, like, I don't know why I paused so much there. Batman in this, like, alternate world, and, you know, where there is no Bruce Wayne, and, you know, trying to do the right thing there and save people, but, you know, he wants to get home, and, you know, it's just some weird, weird things going on there. But it's just, I don't know, I mean, there's there's something about, I, 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 while normally I could appreciate the, like, the what ifs and the exploration of different things. I'm also, I don't know, it's just because of my time. And it's like, I don't want to read a what if as, and, you know, just trying to sort of be main continuity when it's not. I don't want to see like, oh, here's a different version of Batgirl or of Catwoman or Superman or whoever. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see about that. Um, then there's Adventures of Superman John Kent. I actually, I think I did not read this one either. So that's yeah, that's um, that's pretty bad. I I didn't read this. Superman, uh, Kal-el on Injustice World. I I don't know how how that happened. How I I didn't read it, but I didn't. <laughs> then at Marvel, so I really did not read a lot at Marvel. There was uh, the Avengers um, across time. So this is the Paul Levitz and Alan Davis. I, I just. I, don't, I I really um, kind of adore this this series. I mean, I I absolutely I, I love Alan Davis's works like you know so so much, and uh, this this was just like a, a fun series because it it has that like old school like '60s feel to it. So it was really really cool to, to see all that, and you know it's just a it's a Kang story. So it's it's I don't feel like it's necessarily gonna blow the roof off the house or anything, but it's it's a, it's a cool story, but. Yeah, it is what it was. So, there's there's that. There's like some carnage stuff. It's like, whoa, why why am I getting carnage in my feet? I don't want any carnage. There's Carnage Reigns Alpha, which no way I'm gonna read this. Um, oh, so <laughs> as I look at this, it's like, okay, what's the synopsis? Now I'm thinking maybe I should have Carnage versus Miles Morales. Cletus Cassidy's back and battered than ever with his soul trapped. In the extreme biot armor created by Tony Stark during King and Black. Oh my gosh, this sounds ridiculous already. Cletus has the means to level an untold amount of chaos and, well, carnage on New York City and entire Marvel Universe. But like any good Tony Stark invention, the extremists coursing through Cletus' symbiote veins needs power. That means Cletus is hungry. Good thing Brooklyn's very own Spider-Man is there to stand in his way. If he survives their first encounter, that is. Oh, my God. That just sounds horrific. I just can't stand um, Carnage. Then there is a Cult of Carnage Misery. Um, Liz Allen, the seed, mother of Normie Osborne. Uh, she's blissfully unaware is all new, all deadly red goblin. But what does Liz, so wait, she's red goblin, doesn't know it? I thought, oh gosh, no, I don't want any, any more of this. Edge of Spider-Verse, this is issue one. I didn't read this. I'm like, no, 
I'm not reading Venomsaurus and Spider Killer. No, no, thank you. Groot issue one. I don't want to read a comic about Groot. I didn't read this. It could be good for all I know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't read that. I mean, maybe I'll give it a shot, but I don't know. Immortal X-Men. I'm not reading. Is this a... Oh, you know what? I don't think this was a... Whatever. No, it is a... Wait. Storm of Two Worlds. Sins of Sinisters over, but the sin fallout remains. Storm can't believe what everyone has done, but when the fate of two worlds rests in her hands, what can she do about it? So I have no idea what, what happened, and I don't want to know. Joe Fixit, issue five. I've been enjoying this comic, even though it's just so weird. Uh, this is the final issue. I didn't read it, but I, I, I love the fact that Spider-Man's there. It makes no sense that he's still in Vegas just hanging out and everything because he's got to get back to New York. He's got to sell some pictures or get back to school or whatever he's doing, but it's 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 been fun. Then there's a Moon Knight. Oh, okay. I was a little confused. Because I, I thought this was a, this is Moon Knight issue 23. But when you look at it, it says Venom in Moon Knight. So they slapped on Venom's name above that. I didn't even look at that the, there's an issue 23 on the cover. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, okay, we're getting a Venom in Moon Knight one shot. I was like, okay, that's cool, whatever. And then I was like, oh, it's written by Jed McKay. Awesome, that's great. Okay, that makes sense. But it's like, it's kind of weird that you know we have this ongoing series and then you do this one shot and then back to the, but no this was actually an issue so dylan brock goes to mark because his because eddie had told him that you know mark's a good guy and he'll help you if you need it so he goes there for help they team up because you know there's sonic wave people around and uh Moon Knight's Mr. Knight's like, oh, that could relate to the case I'm working on. So they end up working together and, and stuff. So that, that was that was fun. And you know, I'm not sure how how accurate it is, but there's there's always a case like Moon Knight has like such a reputation where no one wants to mess with and I I love that because I love Moon Knight so much. So I love the fact when we're like, oh crap, Moon Knight, okay, um, I'm I'm going to jail. Just 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 turn me in right now. I'm not going to fight you. Just, I don't care. I'm I'm just I'm going to jail. Just get me away. So I I think that's that's kind of funny. Then there's uh, Scarlet Witch. Oh, I was I was going to read this. I was going to read this at lunch, but I, I I when I was having lunch, I didn't read that. So I think more as as on this Darcy Lewis character that we're seeing here, where you know she's being hunted. You know. This, I forgot what the, the lady's name was. She said that she's done some things in Scarlet. Like, like, dude, this Darcy's my friend. I'm she's under my protection, and they get this big fight and, and stuff. So I, I think this is continuing with that. Then there's a Spider-Man issue eight. So this is a Dan Slott, Mark Bagley comic, and it's this gets a little extreme. So basically, it starts off where there's a fire in a building, and Spider-Man goes in. And he saves a bunch of people, you know, being heroic and all that. But then it turns out that there's someone he didn't save. And of course, the lady's like, "You went back in. You saved a dog, but you didn't save him." It's like, one, it's not his job. Yeah, he's a superhero, but he's just doing. You know, it, it is not his job to save everyone. He's doing the best that he can. You know, firefighters. While it is their job, they couldn't, you know, save everyone. So it's just, and, and yeah, you know, she's distraught, you know, there's this woman and whatever, but you can't just, I don't know. So because of this, 
Peter's like, I need to figure out a way. You know, my spider sense warns me of danger. I need to be warned when other people are in danger. And there's, you know, a bunch of these spiders from a you know different dimension from during Spider-Verse stuff or whatever. So he's he's able to come up with a way to start getting other people's attention. And that's obviously, that's got to be a recipe for, for disaster. Because then how is he going to be able, is he going to be able to control that? It just seems like something that's going to just immediately get out of hand. And then there's uh, some some shots of that's the spider boy this new character and while we don't know what his connection to peter is you know he needs to make make some you know progress he needs to do some stuff so we're, we're seeing and uh he, so he's going on it's like oh i can't believe there's no records of me here and so uh so we oh i guess i should back up so spider boy was introduced in the the spider verse story arc and because of he was erased, you know, they were all erased from the world, from their existence with the, one of the spider totems or whatever. But then they were all brought back except for John. And his request, not, not necessarily a request, but yeah, so no one knows who he is. They're supposed to know, you know, he knows who Spider-Man is. I think he knows who Miles is, but no one else, like we don't know. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. His name is Bailey. But they, it's like they purposely, you know, he's about to say his name to himself, and then they cut off the last name. So that makes me feel like, is he related to someone else? And they're just, you know, they don't want to drop the bombshell on us. And then I wanted to read a Spider-Man 2099, but it looked like there was carnage on there, Dark Genesis. So I didn't uh, get get to that. And then there are some Star Wars books that I haven't read. So Star Wars 34. Um, I'm really curious about this one. The Broken Saber of Skywalker. Luke Skywalker searches for one of the rarer substances in the galaxy, Kyber, the living crystal that powers lightsabers. Does it hold the answer to the unpredictable thing the Force has become? Um, see Hidden Empire number 5. What long lost secret is he about to uncover? Yeah, so I didn't read... I didn't read that, and it's it's this is annoying. There's also Star Wars Darth Vader issue thirty three. So this is more with the the handmaidens, um, Unbound Force Part One. When the Dark Lord assists Luther's control of the Force, nothing is safe, not even his own exec- executor class star dreadnought. But in the face of total destruction, Commander Sabe, so Sabe is one of the handmaidens, finds an opportunity. Does Vader's untrammeled onslaught expose a vulnerability, or is it just another doorway to the terrifying tyranny of the Sith? Okay, so yeah, I haven't read that. Um, there's Star Wars Dr. Aphra, which I don't normally read that. I wish I did, but I, f- I feel like I need to go back. Um, there's Star Wars Return of Jedi Lando. I don't know about this, so she... Lando and Chewie ante up to save the galaxy when Lando, Carissi, and Chewbacca find themselves on a perilous mission to steal from Jabba himself. A dangerous figure from Lando's past threatens their plans and their lives. Chewie finds that putting his trust in Calrissian is a gamble, but that just might pay off as Lando calls on his skills as a smuggler to make it out alive. Part of a series of one-shots celebrating 40th anniversary Return of Jedi. Eh, I don't know. We'll see. And then there's a Star Wars Yoda. Um, this is, is this a new story? Yoda versus General Grievous to the death. No way. 
Wait, what happened? How did what didn't General Grievous die? I don't know. Let's see. Ken Yoda and young Anakin Skywalker discovered a secret weapon in time. So yeah, I think it's another crazy one. And then I think that's all I read, even though I didn't read those. X Men Follow Before the Fall, Sons of X. I don't even know what this is about. Oh man. I maybe it's time for me to quit X Men comics. I have no idea what's going on in that. And I guess it's like, so wait, I was supposed to read all these Sins of Sinister. Obviously, they want me to read them all. But now if you're saying that there's actual repercussions off of this, no. I don't know. But what I do know is that's it. That there's, that's, all, that's all the comics. Not a whole lot that I actually read. All right. Superman and Lois, Season 3, Episode 7, Forever and Always. It starts off. It's, it's bad. Lois is vomiting in the bathroom, and uh, Clark is sitting by her side. You know, she gets up and everything. She's like, oh, I stained another one of your shirts. He's like, it doesn't matter. Because she's wearing, like, his shirt as for his, like, her PJs or whatever. And then she, like, starts throwing up some more. And then you can see just a look on, on Clark's face. He's just sad because, you know, he's trying to help. He's helpless. He, there's nothing he can do. Next day, Lois is getting ready to go somewhere, and Clark's like, are you up for this? He, you know, we can postpone if you're not. And, you know, she drinks some grain smoothie something like that take some pills she's like no i'm ready so they you know they just start to leave and the boys are like concerned and john's like mom is everything okay and she's like yeah she's like we'll be home before dinner and then uh jonathan tells jordan he's like they're not telling us something so this is like the start of something (laughs) john henry's working the shop and nat comes in with two dresses she's like which one do you like like better and he's like "Uh, whichever one you like best and she asks if he's going to change, if he's going to wear a button-up shirt. You know, did he get the food? The place is a mess. So she's like, he's going to be here less than two hours. And he's like, it'll be fine. It's just lunch. And he's like, I know it's important. It's like, I'll clean up. So her her boyfriend, Mateo's officially her boyfriend now. So he's going to come over. At the diner, Lana's on the phone. She's like, w- when are we going to break ground? She's like, that's not what you promised. She's like, well, then I'm, I'll come down there. Sarah and Sophia are there too. Lana's like, that contractor thinks that I'll back down just because I'm a woman. And Sarah's like, what? And then she like kind of turns away because Chrissy Beppo walks in to like pick up an order. Lana sees her and kind of like turns away, you know, because it gets, gets a little awkward. Um, Chrissy goes up to her. She's like, hey, I know Kyle talked to you. I just need to know that this thing between us, it just sort of happened. And Lana's like, I know. And Chrissy's like, there, there wasn't never anything going on behind your back ever. And, and I wanted to, to tell you, but, you know, he was concerned about, you know, like motioning to the girls. And, you know, Sarah's like listening into this. And Lana's like, I appreciate it, but you don't have to worry. We're fine. Then the waitress comes with Chrissy's order and she like, here it is, blah, 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 like this. And Sarah immediately looks over because it must be like Kyle's like usual breakfast. And Chrissy just like sheepishly says to Lana, Lana, she's like, okay, then she's like, have a great day. And Sarah rudely is like, we know you already have. Lana's like, Chrissy. And she's, you know, try to apologize. And Chrissy's like, it's okay. And, you know, she's, she leaves. And then Lana turns to Sarah. She's like, don't ever do that again. And she's like, mom, someone has to say something. And Lana's like, none of this is Chrissy's fault. And Sarah's like, she's like 10 years younger than dad. It's gross. And it's like, please. And, and the, the funny thing is, so like Sophie's actually there, but she's like oblivious to the whole thing. So Lois is at Hobbs. Bay Medical. She says to P- Pia that everything is making her nauseated. 
And she's like, oh, and thanks for the heads up about the, about the constipation and the diarrhea. <laughs> so Clark comes in with some new anti-nausea pills. Like there's like something else, like some water. And Pia's like, oh, such a caring husband. And Lois like, yeah, he's the best. And Pia's like, my husband's the same way. You know, he'll do anything for me. And then we have a flashback. She's having dinner with Bruno. And she says that, you know, we can't keep doing this. And he's like, why not? He's like, I want to be with you. And she's like, it's Moxie's restaurant. Bruno's like, so we both work for him. And she's like, well, it's not the same as when we were kids. You know, I'm not the same person. It's like, I've had to do things. He's like, we've all had to do things to, to survive. So not really sure like what's going on. So is she with Moxie? Like, you know, Moxie was like the old crime boss or something like that in the area. Back in the present, Pia asks like, how are the boys handling things? And then Clark hears something. It's, I don't know why it's always like a weird chirping noise. And he's like, oh, I should probably go check on them. The boys are actually at the fortress, and Jonathan's upset that Dad never even brought Mom to see Holo Lara, his, his Superman's mom. And he's like, you know, why won't you help our mom? And it basically it comes out because you know Lois doesn't have the proper makeup to withstand Kryptonian procedures, so Jonathan isn't happy. And Lara's like, you know, the the risk is too great, and he yells, he's like, well, it's worth a shot. And Lara's like, well, the technology could kill her, and he's like, well, she might die anyways. Then Clark arrives, he's like, enough. He's like, what are you two doing here? And Larry tells him that they wanted to know if there was any Kryptonian science that could help. And Clark says that, you know, she's going to be fine. And Jordan's like, well, she didn't sound fine last night. And Clark's like, that's just a chemo. You know, sometimes it's hard, but your mother can handle it. Jordan's like, but what if she didn't need to? What if there was another way? And Lara just kind of like gives him a look. Clark's like, your mother and I already discussed this. And Jonathan starts complaining. He's like, your mother's treatment isn't for you to decide. So Jordan's like, well, we're just trying to help. And Jonathan's like, which is what you should have been doing here this entire time. And Clark's like, excuse me? He's like, there's a Kryptonian science that we're not even using. Lara's like, Jonathan, I explained the dangers. No, 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 no. You just explained why our dad was scared. And J Jordan's like, dude. And then Clark's like, stop it right there. He's like, I understand you're worried about your mom, but don't you dare act as if I'm not concerned just as much as you. You understand me? Do you? He's like, yes, sir. It's like, both of you, go home. We'll finish talking about this when your mother finishes her treatment. They take off. So Pia, she had asked Lois before, like, if she had any pictures of the boys. And, you know, so she's looking on her phone. She's like, oh, they just look, look just like each other. Not really. Lois asks, she's like, do you have any pictures of your family? And Pia's like, uh, I don't have my phone with me. And Lois is like, well, maybe next time. Then she's like, hey, I've been meaning to ask you, you know, about Bruno Mannheim living here your whole life. You must have met him. So then we get another flashback. Bruno's talking about like Lex Luthor taking all their money in the city. And, you know, he's with like talking with Moxie and some other people. P is there too. Uh, Moxie asks, he's like, what do you want to take Lex out? Is that what you're saying? And he's like, you're going to get the, the devil coming after us. And Bruno's like, like no, I just, I want to make a deal. You know, give him the rest of the city while we get our corner back. So then back in the present, Pia tells Lois, like, yeah, you know, she's seen Bruno in passing, but nothing worth mentioning. Then Lois, like, you know, your initial treatment was right after he invested in Hobbs Medical. He's like, your paths must have cost. Pia's like, it's it's a big hospital. She's like, I don't really remember. And then Lois is like, what about Little Aces? So that was the restaurant where they went to. She's like, I saw his photo there. And Pia's like, what are you implying? And Lois is like, nothing, just that you both go there a lot. And Pia's like, what, are you interrogating me? And Lois is like, I'm sorry, yeah, I shouldn't have brought it up. And Pia just like shakes her head. She's like, you know what? This is my last treatment. I don't feel great. I'm going to sit over there and close my eyes. Don't follow me. 
and Lowell's like, okay. John Henry's buying some stuff at Brit- Britain Dunn's or whatever, the, the general store. Then Lana's there. She's like, oh, how was your trip? Because you know, he was away, I guess. And he's like, oh, it was fine. Everything. He's, so she's like, oh, are you cooking for someone special? She's like, not that it's any of my business. These two are going to hook up, right? You know, that we saw that at the barbecue and Kyle's like looking at them or whatever. So uh, he says that he's making dinner for Nat's boyfriend. Uh, Lana's like, oh, I saw them at the dance. They're, they're so cute. And, and she's saying, how do they look like they're so smitten with each other? And he's like, yeah, you know, too bad he lives out in Metropolis. Lana's like, well, he has a car. It's not that far. And then she looks at him. She's like, what, are you trying to scare him away? And John Henry's like, like no, no, no. He's like, I- I'm cool, dad. And Lana's like, you know, because at that age, it's nothing, you know, better than the feeling of falling in love. Clark goes back to Hobbs, Hobbs Bay Medical. Lois, like, is everything okay? And he's like, the boys were at the fortress. Like, let's just talk about it later. So he's like, you should be resting. And she's like, well, I can't. You know, she's like, I feel sick to my stomach, not just from the chemo. Because she's like, after you left, I started asking Pia about Bruno and it got ugly. He's like, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. And she's like, she walked away from me with her chemo cart to get as far away from me as possible because I'm a horrible human being. He's like, Lois, she's like, what am I doing? She's my friend. And I'm questioning her like she's part of some conspiracy. And, you know, she says that since she was diagnosed, everything's off. You know, she doesn't trust her instincts anymore. And he's like, you know, you're, you're close. And, you know, Bruno's hiding something. Maybe you just need a little help. And she's like, from who? And he's like, he smiles. So from him. So Clark goes to Bruno's office. Bruno's like, it's like, oh, you showing up here kind of caught me by surprise. And Clark's like, I just want to give you the chance to tell your side of the story. So then we get a flashback. Bruno brings Pia to that place, but it's actually, it's like a dump. It's like all run down or anything. He said, I think he said his mother used to work there. There's a private entrance. And she's like, are you going to buy this? He's like, I already did. So he wants to remodel it. He's like, it's time to reclaim Hobbs Bay. So then in present, Clark's like, you single-handedly transformed Hobbs Bay. And Bruno's like, all I'll say is I saw the potential that others didn't. And he says that, you know, he's been very fortunate with his investments. And Clark's like, except for, you know, with the hospital. He's like, according to the files that you provided to Lois, you put millions in for cancer treatment. So far, you haven't made a cent. He's like, your point? Clark's like, every investment you've made has been profitable, except this one. He's like, I'm saving my people. I don't need a profit from illness. And Clark's like, especially cancer, especially cancer. He's like, this disease is important to you? He's like, people in Hobbs Bay are developing cancer at disproportionate rates. Did your wife show you those records? He's like, she did. She also told me about Henry Miller and James DeStefano. More accusations? It's like two criminals who have been experimented on. Were they also part of your research? Because if they were, then it certainly makes me wonder, Mr. Mannheim, how far would you go to cure this disease? And he's like, your wife is sick. If her treatment doesn't work, she'll likely die. So you tell me, Mr. Kent, how far would you go to save her? So then the boys land at the farm. Seems like it took them a while. Uh, Jordan tries getting Jonathan to c- calm down, and he's like, why do you keep defending him? Jonathan's, he's like, I know, you know, they're hiding something. Then he, inside the house, he starts, like, opening drawers and everything like that. He's like, Mom keeps notes on everything. And Jordan's like, none of this is helping. And then Jonathan finds uh, the last will and, t- and testament, and he's like, Really? <sighs> Nat and Sarah are texting each other um, about dad and Mateo coming and everything like that. So the, Sarah's sitting at her dad's apartment and then Chrissy walks in and Sarah's like, you've got a key already? And Chrissy's like, no, your dad loaned it to me for today. And, you, and she's like, he's not back yet. Sarah doesn't answer. She's just like texting on her phone. Chrissy's like, well, I'll just wait then so you know, we can go to the movie. 
And Sarah's like, you're coming? Chrissy's like, I thought it'd be a small first step. And Sarah's like, it's not happening. And Chrissy says, you don't have to leave. Sarah's like, well, I don't have to hang out with my dad's hookup. And Chrissy's like, that's not what I am. That's what it looked like this morning. And Chrissy's like, you know what? And Sarah like turns around because you know she's about to walk out the apartment. She's like, I know where you're at right now. And Sarah's like rolls her eyes. She's like, oh my goodness. She's like, I know how it feels to see your dad's date. She's like, Sarah, it sucks. But that doesn't give you the right to go full on mean girl. And then Chrissy's phone chimes. It's like, your dad is stuck at the station for the rest of the day. Movie's off. And she's like, take whoever you want. And she like just puts it, you know, gives her the ticket. She walks out. And Sarah's like, she's standing there. She's like, she like closes her eyes. And then she she goes after. She's like, hold up. She's like, I heard it's supposed to be funny. And then she gives the, the ticket back and walks down the hall. Mateo knocks at John Henry's. He has flowers. He shakes John Henry's hand. He's like, oh, that's a firm handshake. Nat walks in. He's like, wow. He's like, you look stunning. And he just like like walks over to her. And then John Henry's kind of left like with his jaw hanging. Like, wait, what's what's going on here? You know, seeing his reaction. So after they eat, Mateo says, oh, God, lunch was phenomenal. And Nat's like, well, dad did all the work. He's like, oh, you didn't have to do all this for me, sir. And John Henry's like, it was more for Bug. He's like, Bug? He's like, Nat Bug. It's what I called her when she was little. And she's like, and for some reason, he still does. And he goes right into the question. Are your parents okay with you making the drive back and forth from Metropolis alone? He's like, yeah, they, they trust me. And Nat's like, it's not that far. John Henry's like, it's far enough. And she's like, Dad? And he's like, tell me about this party where you met Natalie. It was uh, just a couple of friends hanging with the parents out of town. He's like, sir, I'm sorry if you think. And Nat's like, no, don't apologize. Just because my dad's short-circuiting for whatever reason doesn't make that your problem. He's like, bug, don't call me that. She's like, we're going to the movie. Thanks for ruining lunch. She gets up and walks out. Mateo's like, uh, thanks for lunch. It, it was really delicious. At Hobbs Bay, Lois decides to go up to Paya. Uh, she like opens her eyes. She's like, what part of don't follow me do you not understand? Lois is like, Pia, it's like, I'm really sorry. And she's like, and now you're sitting. Pia, you have every right to be upset. I was digging for a story, and I crossed the line. Too often, I let my work weigh into my personal life, and it never ends well. It's probably something I got from my dad. Pia's like, oh, so now it's your dad's fault? And Lois is like, no, this is all me. She's like, honestly, I don't have that many friends, and I really like you. And going through all of this has been unbelievably hard, and I don't know how I could have gotten through it without you. And then Pia's like, that's what cancer friends are for. Lois like, I don't want to be cancer friends. I want to be friend friends. Pia's like, what does that even mean? Do we need like matching bracelets? Lois like, no, I was thinking necklaces. And Pia starts laughing. She's like, you and me, we're from completely different worlds. Not to mention we both have cancer. It's not really the recipe for a lifelong friendship. And Lois is like, I disagree. And I can be very stubborn when I want to be. I don't know if you've noticed. She's like, a little bit. Lois like, I promise, no more angles, okay? And Pia just nods. John Henry visits Lana's office. He's like, uh, you know, sorry to surprise you. He's like, do you have a minute? And, you know, she's with her assistant, whatever. And she's like, did something happen with lunch? He's like, yeah. So she tells her assistant, she's like, we can finish this up later. And, and then her friend, is, as she's walk, or her assistant, she walks out. She mouths like, oh, my God, behind his back. Because it was like, you've never seen him around town before? I mean, it's not that big of a town. They know everyone. Then Alana's like, was it the boyfriend? He's like, no. She's like, Natalie? No. 
And she's like, John, what happened to cool dad? And he's like, he never showed up. He's like, I thought I could handle Nat having a boyfriend, but I saw how he was looking at her and how she was looking at him. And he's like, ever since she showed up in Smallville, I wanted you know Nat to do teenager things. Now that she is, it's like, I'm terrified. Nat and Mateo are in their talking line. They're at the line for the movie. She's like, I don't know what was up with my dad. And she's like, it was like he was trying to scare you. And he's like, mission accomplished. But he'll have to step up his game if he wants to scare me away. And she's like, nah, whatever. And it, but then he's like, I'm going to kill him with kindness until he realizes that I'm a perfect date for his daughter. So Sarah and Chrissy are walking to the movie. Then Sarah's like, so uh, should we buy some candy? And Chrissy's like, that won't be necessary. She opens up her purse. And Sarah's like, oh, my God, it's like a candy shop in there. And she starts pulling stuff out. And she's like, oh, these gummies look good. And Chrissy's like, oh, my God. She's like, those aren't for embar- for sharing. And she's, like, embarrassed. And Sarah's like, she's like, no. She's like, oh, my God. And Chrissy's like, no. And she's like, you're a stoner? And Chrissy's like, no. This is so appropriate. She's like, please don't tell your dad about this. And Sarah's like, oh, my God, my dad's dating a stoner. And she, like, covers her mouth, like, chuckle. And she's like, where do you even get those? I guess they don't have them in Smallville. And, and Chrissy's like, I you know, I go to Coachella every summer and, and bad decisions are made and, and we're never going to mention these gummies again, okay? And she just keeps walking. And Sarah just sits there for a second. Then she's like, wait, what bands did you see? Clark says to Bruno, he's like, this isn't about you. He, he's like, no, it's about saving your wife. So why are you acting like I'm the bad guy? And Clark's like, because you're playing God, giving power to criminals, putting people in danger. And Bruno's like, even if that's true, isn't risking a few lives for a breakthrough that could save millions worth it? And Clark's like, jeopardizing even one life isn't. How can you even look at me in the eye and say you'd do anything for Lois? He's like, because I would. Then admit I'm right. This is is your wife we're talking about. And Clark's like, I'm not sure that it is. This is personal for you. He's like, don't go making assumptions. No, no. It's why you bought the hospital. Why you were experimenting on criminals? Someone you care about is sick. And Bruno's just kind of speechless. And it almost looks like he's he's going to cry. It's almost like his eyes look a little little glossy. Pia says that she feels terrible. And Lois is like, well, at least it's your final round. You should clear your head. So get out of the city. Why don't you, you know, come to the farm and bring your family? She's like, you know, Clark's not great on the grill, but he makes a decent burger. And Pia's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And Lois says, uh, you know, you you took me to Little Aces. At least I can do is show you some small town hospitality. And she's like, Lois. And Lois like, plus we can make it a celebration. And then Pia's like, just stop. She's like, I can't do this anymore. This wasn't supposed to happen. You and me, we weren't supposed to become friends. It's like everything I told you was real about me, how I was feeling. I just didn't tell you about him. And then Bruno walks up with like Clark behind him. And she's like, my husband's not who you think he is, Lois. And he's like, everything he's done, it's all been for me. And he's like, I think that's enough. And Pia's like, no, it's okay. She's like, I'm glad she knows. And then Lois's like, I don't understand. All these years, why would you keep this a secret? And Bruno's like, my whole life, people have judged me, thinking the worst. I just didn't want them thinking the same way about Pia. Then her treatment thing beeps, so she's finished. Bruno's like, now you know the truth. Do what you want with it. So he helps Pia up, and then Clark just, like, steps aside. So then out on, like, some balcony at the hospital, you know, Lois is, and Clark, there's, like, other people. Lois like, I can't believe that I never figured out. 
P is talking to staff. She says she wants to thank everyone who took care of her. You know, and then, then she says you know, she's really happy with all the surprising moments she's had with the people here. And she kind of looks at Lois. And she's like, most of all, she's like, I want to thank my husband. He tried moving heaven and earth to save me. And she's like, Bruno, you have my heart forever and always, which is the name of the episode. And then he's like, forever and always. Smooch. And then she's like, oh, whatever. It's time to ring the bell. And she's like, say it with me. Screw cancer. And they ring the bell. John Henry and Lana are walking down the street. They're talking. And he thanks her for talking him off the ledge. And then they see Nat and Mateos smooching like, on the sidewalk. He starts to go walk over there. And she's like, what did we just talk about? And he's like, oh, he's like, right. He's like, cool, Dad. So they go up there. He's like, <clears throat> and Nat's like, she's like, Dad. And Mateo's like, sir, we were just, he's like, you and I have to talk. So they, they go like across the street. Lana tells Nat, she's like, don't worry. He can't do anything in public. And that's like, it's like he's just trying to drive Mateo away. Lana's like, he's just trying to figure it all out. Then she sees Sarah and Chrissy walk out of the movie like laughing. And she tells Nat, she's like, I should probably go. And then Sarah sees her like Lana rushing, like darting off like across the street. And she's a little confused. But then, you know, she keeps laughing and like talking with Chrissy. John Henry's like, I just wanted to say... I I didn't handle things well. Mateos tries like cutting off. He's like, stop. Let me admit to being wrong. It's like, you're Nat's first boyfriend, which means you're the first boyfriend I had to deal with. He's like, I totally get that. And John's like, and despite your need to always want to give the right answer, I can tell you're a good kid. Nat likes you and I trust her. So now I'm trusting you to treat her right. And it's like, just quiet. He's like, this is the part where you talk. He's like, sir, I give you my word. My mom raised me to respect women. If I ever disrespected Nat, I'd, I'd be more afraid of her than you. And John Henry like chuckles. He's like, sounds like a good woman. And he's like, yeah, she's um, she's great. He's like, maybe you can meet her someday. And John Henry's like, let's take this one step at a time. Lois and Clark return to the farm. They, they talk about you know Bruno doing all this stuff for Pia. She's like, I always thought of him as a crime boss, and now I'm just seeing him as a doting husband. The boys rush out. Jordan's holding out the will. Mom, what is this? Clark's like, whoa, you went through your mom's things? Jonathan says, you lied to us about how bad this is. Jordan's like, these are end-of-life documents. Jonathan's like, you wrote goodbye letters. And she's like, yeah, I know. She's like, I know this looks very scary. It's all normal things you do in case things go bad. Jonathan's like, Things are already bad. It's like, we hear you getting sick. We see you losing your hair, not eating, not drinking, but you never talk to us about anything. And the Clark is like, and we try to get help from your mom. You get mad at us? I mean, what are we supposed to do? He's like, Jonathan, you have to, what, have hope? Just believe that somehow everything's going to work out? Everything's going to work out fine? He's like, maybe that works for you as a Kryptonian, but for humans like mom and me, we can't. He's like, it didn't help your dad from having a heart attack or your mom from having a stroke. And the last time I checked, hope doesn't cure cancer. And he like walks inside. So later, Clark's talking to Lois in the bedroom. And he's like, sorry, you had to hear that. She says that, you know, he's just scared. It's just a, a reminder that, you know, he's not like him or, or Jordan. And he's like, I'll, you know, you just get some rest. And I'll go talk to the boys. She's like, it's better if they hear it from both of us. So Clark gets the boys. Jonathan, you know, they walk in. He's like, sorry and she's like it's okay so she tells him to sit on the bed she's like you're right it's like i'm really sick i've been trying to hide it from you jordan's like we, we said no more secrets and she says that you know she didn't mean for it to be a secret clark's like we just don't want you worrying about something that might never happen jonathan's like but you can't know that for sure and clark starts saying something and lois like you know he's right 
And Jonathan's asked, like, why don't you just use the technology for the fortress? And Jordan's like, yeah, there, there could be something there that could help. Clark's like, well, if we use it for your mom, it wouldn't be fair to keep it from everybody else. And using Kryptonian technology here, the risks of the greater good is just too high. Jonathan's like, I just don't want you to die. And she's like, I don't want to either. And she's like, I love you too so much. And she hugs him. Lana's in the living room looking at a photo album. Sarah walks in. She's like, Mom, I saw you in town. She's like, how come you just walked away? Lana's like, well, because lately I've been doing that thing that I always do, not being honest with you know about my feelings. She's like, I tried to act like nothing was wrong, but I, I saw you and Chrissy having fun, and, and I felt bad. Sarah's like, it was just a movie. Lana's like, it's, it's not that. Just since the divorce, it feels like everyone is just moving on. Sarah's like, well, maybe not just moving on. Maybe it's, it's about being present. If there's anything you could do right now, what would it be? Lana's like, I would shoot off a firework. And Sarah's like, it's not what I was thinking you'd say. And Lana's like, I found a, a box of your dad's old fireworks. You know, I'd shoot them off before the sheriff arrives. And she's like, let's go do it. Clark's out on the porch with the wine. Jonathan comes out. He's like, bad time? And Clark's like, you tell me. So Jonathan's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I know you're doing everything possible to help mom. I just wish there was more we could do. And Clark's like, yeah, me too. And he's like, probably helps having a glass of wine, though. He's, then he's like, wait, can you even feel it? He's like, nope, not even a little. But it's something your mom likes so. And he's like, you know, I was thinking about what you said earlier about being human like your mom. He's like, I didn't mean anything by that. He's like, I know, but I understand where it's coming from. But I want you to remember, you are just as much Kryptonian as your brother. And he's just as human as you are. And then they start seeing firework. Jonathan's like, oh, it must be blah, blah, you know, a couple of his friends. And he's like, no, that's Lana and Sarah. So they, they just watch it, whatever. Then we see Sarah and Lana. They run from the fireworks. They're looking under an awe. They hug and they're laughing and stuff like that. Jonathan's like, it's actually kind of nice. And Clark's like, yeah, it is. And he puts his arm around him. At the house at Bruno's place, Bruno helps pay a sit. And he's like, do you need water or anything? She's like, no, I just need to catch my breath. And he thinks back. Moxie's talking about his proposal and how he went behind his back. Um, so then, and Pia's there. She uses her powers on the people with Bruno. like, And it's like, she sets out these screens, but they're almost like daggers. Like, you know, it's like, they t I'm pretty sure they kind of get impaled. He's, they're, they're dead. They're, they're killed. He's like surprised. And she's like, I told you this was a bad idea. And he's like, this was our future. He's like, I've loved you since we were kids. He's like, make a life with me. Make a city forever and always. Moxie says, he's like, do it now. So then she's about to scream at Bruno, but then she turns around and screams at Moxie. And Bruno's like shocked. And she hugs him. She's like, I love you too, Bruno. In the present, Bruno tells her, he's like, it's going to be okay. In the other room, you're like, mom, mom, are you here? It's like, uh-oh, whose voice is that? And she's like, we're in here. And, you know, we're in the in in dining room. Who comes in? It's Mateo. And he's like, you know, she's like, how was your date? He's like, it was amazing. He's like, mom, I'm telling you, she's the one. And he's like, oh, really? She's the one? He's like, I, I want to invite her to Little Aces. Like, you've got to meet her. The problem is um, there's some, like, <laughs> there's some history with, with John Henry because they, they killed John Henry, or Bruno did. The other, all, you know, local John Henry, not Nat's dad, but uh, things are going to get messy. But I, I didn't even think, put two and two together. I didn't even think it would be a possibility that Bruno had a kid, that it would be Mateo. 
and it's it's so nuts it's like such a coincidence but it it it's perfect it works out it's it's gonna get bad but the show is great all right with the uh, flash season nine episode 10 a uh, new world part one is it a new world a new world order i think it's just new world um we're almost at the end so i think this new world's or whatever this this is like three parts and then there's one episode after that so uh we're getting there uh, it starts off we we see like a bunch of blue roses there's this dude like in a blue suit he has a blue tie he's eating blueberry he really likes blue he goes out he goes to someplace mercury labs which i think we've seen before uh whatever so it, it starts off uh we, we see blue roses dude in his like blue suit his blue tie He's eating blueberries. He goes out. He goes over to Mercury Labs, which I think we've seen before, but I'm not sure. Whatever. I, I don't remember. Uh, we don't see his face for a bit. He brings coffee to security dude. And it sounds like he lost a bet or something like that. He he le- left his he, or he misplaced his uh, security badge. I think the, the, the dude said it fell off in the elevator. Someone found it or something like that. And then we see his face. And I was like, wait, is that Eddie Thon? It's like what 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 the heck is going on, and that's a weird thing about this because then it it, it it goes into the logo a new world part one, reunions, and it almost feels like it's like wait did I miss like eight episodes or five episodes since the last one, because then uh, <laughs> I don't know then we see Chester Chuck he's looking at this you know article the article who is the new light meta, uh, and then uh, Allegra is trying on I guess he had made a new outfit for her. And uh, she comes out of like a, whatever. It's not really a dressing room because it's like in his lab. And it looks like she's wearing a robe made out of a quilt with like just a bunch of different different colors. And she has like a headpiece on. Like a, I, it looks like a like a gold and blue VR headpiece. And Chuck seems he's like really excited. He seems like he likes it. And she's like, I feel like Rainbow Bright. And he's like, okay, uh, I can see that, but I figured since you know you could control all the wavelengths in the spectrum, you know why not have the goofy threads to, to match, right? And then he's like, oh my god, you hate it. And she's like, yes. She's like, I know you worked hard and you're trying to protect my I protect my identity, but I kind of just want to be myself. And he's like, he's like, oh, I understand. You know, I I just want you to be happy. He's like, I I could probably use parts of it for something, you know, whatever. And, you know, he, like, turns, goes to his desk or whatever because he's all sad, mopey. And then she kind of looks at him, and she's like, uh, Cecile is away with Joe and Jenna. Do you want to come by the house and help me take this off? And he looks at her, and he's like, <laughs> the lights go out. He's like, yeah. Ugh. Joe is uh, making food for Cecile, and she's like, you don't have to make a feast every time I come by. He's like, well, I want to. So, you know, she says she's happy to be home. And, you know, he says he's proud of the hero she's become and the home they built or whatever. But then she seems like she's kind of distracted because, you know, he's going to go get Jenna so they can eat lunch. So I'm not not really sure if she's having second thoughts, like she wants to be home or maybe she's just like maybe she's itching to be out in the action. I don't know. And I don't think they, they address it, not, at least not in this episode. Then here's another weird like jump thing. And we see his apartment, and at first it's like, is this Caitlin's apartment? But then we see, like, uh, I think there's a picture of, of Caitlin and Frost or like that. And then at the, the door, some, like, icy smoke pours under the door, and Keon, whoosh, like, materializes out of the smoke. And then she says hello to, you know, some of the plants because she's named them, whatever. And then she starts writing in, in a journal to sisters Caitlin and Frost. 
it's like it's a really weird segment because you see part of like what she's writing like on the bottom of the page or something like that and you see like the top is like her you know you know leaning over writing whatever she talks about the journey she's taking over the last nine months and she's like this morning i refroze a lake for a bunch of kids on a field trip so they could ice skate with her and she's like frost would have done the same and she's like and caitlin she's like argus has been helping me catalog my powers it's like every day another new ability comes up which is like what and then she's like, there's only one person I wish I could talk to about all this. And then she looks like right, kind of like right at the camera. Wherever you are, Mark, I hope you're okay. It's like, what? I don't understand this part. Then we, Iris is, is sitting around the loft on the, on the sofa. Barry's like zipping around doing something. And she's like, why do you always do everything like last minute? Or whatever. He's like, oh, I thought you'd like him. I'm just living in the moment, whatever. And then uh, she says that she wishes she could just give birth already. because you know, And she's really pregnant. You know, so she's she's got a, a, a belly, and she's like, "I miss drinking wine." It's like, okay, drink this. I, this is before drinking wine is cool, kids. No, it's not. So she's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm baby proofing the loft with proximity based meta dampeners." And she's like, "You're dampening our? Are you going to dampen our child?" He's like, "Well, you know, what if Nora accidentally uses her speed and, and gets hurt?" And she's like, uh, okay, yeah. Then she gets an email, Pulitzer Prize Awards. You've been nominated. So she shows him. She, I was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. He's like, and you know, just you've earned this, whatever. And then he like moans in pain, and he's you know not sure what's going on. This blue energy washes over him, and then he disappears. So then Barry kind of appears. He reappears like outside, and and it's like someone walks by. It looks like someone's carrying a disc man. And then he look, looks over at a license plate. It's like forever free. And there's like a U.S. flag in the center. But the the sticker thing, it's the year 2000. And he's like, what I do this time? So then the, the screen actually tells us it's the year 2000. Barry like, like running home. But then he like crashes into his laundry van that's like open. And so he did like, I don't know if maybe he can't run wherever he wants or it's like maybe something blocking him. I don't know. He decides where could he go for help? He goes to the police station. He sees a uh, captain Singh, which is like different here. And he's like, Oh, where? And he's like, can I help you? So, you know, Barry calls him. He's like, he's like, he's like captain Singh. He's like, whatever. And then he corrects him. He's like, uh, it's detective. And he's like, do I know you? And Barry's like, Oh no. He's like, I call everyone captain. And he's like, Hey captain, how's it going? Captain. He's a couple of people and they're just look at him. They're like, what? So he's like, uh, is, is Joe West here? You know, and he, he's like, I'm an old family friend. So saying like points him out to him. He walks up to him and he says that he needs his help. Um, so Joe tells him to sit. And he's like, what seems to be the problem, Mr. He's, and Barry's like, I can't tell you my name. He's like, I know what you're thinking. And Joe's like, yeah, did I need to see ID first? So Barry's like, I'm stranded very far from home with no way to get back on my own. So Joe's like, so you need a bus ticket? Barry's like, no. I need your help to find Dr. Tina McGee. She's the one person who could help me with my specific prompts. I think Tina McGee is a, a what's her name? Amanda something. She was a, she was in the original Flash TV show, but she's been on this show as as this doctor. I think this is her. And she might have worked at Mercury Labs. I could be totally wrong if I'm, I don't know. He's like, so she's the one person who can help me with my specific problems, and she's not listed in the phone book. So I, I need you to use the, the CNET database to get me her address. He's like, I'm supposed to do what? 
And then Barry says to himself, he's like, oh, that's right. He's like, the system's still two years away. He's like, um, uh, you, you could check the city registry. He's like, I know you can access those. And Joe's like, how do you know that? He's like, I'm sorry, kid. You walk in here asking me for contact information for a private citizen, and you won't even tell me your name? He's like, I told you I can't. He's like, look, I'm sorry. He's like, if, if I do or say the wrong thing, everyone could change. And he's like, officer, he's like, people have told me if I'm ever in trouble, the person I could turn to is Joe West. He's like, I know you got no reason to trust me, but I'm asking you to, he's like, please. Joe looks at him. He's like, well, my gut says you're a good person who's going through something bad. So I'm going to help, but I'm trusting you. I need to know the truth. So he's like, my name is, and then he sees a desk calendar marked Saturday, March 18th, 2000. And he thinks about reverse flash killing his mom. So he gets up and he's like, I have to go. So outside on a payphone, Barry calls Professor Stein. Uh, he's like, he's like, hello. He's like, you know, you don't know me yet. He's like, but I need your help. He's like, who is this? He's like, my name is Barry Allen. I'm from the future and I need your help. And he's like, pranking your physics professor with time travel? He's like, who put you up to this? Then we see Barry's alive parents are walking down the street, like across the street, and they stop at a, a CC Jitters. It's a coffee cart because I guess they don't have an actual physical store yet. Barry's, he says, uh, he's like, no one put me up to this. He's like, I, I know about your research and quantum anomalies. Stein's like, I'm hanging up. He's like, have a good day. So Barry sees his parents. He starts walking towards him. And then this red streak whoosh, hits him from behind. The, the hit knocks Barry up. He, he kind of goes flying, lands in the middle of the street. There's a car like coming. So Barry's dad rushes out to get the car, you know, waves, get the car to stop. And Nora, you know, she comes up to him. She's like, oh, he looks just like my father. And, and Henry's like, call 911. And then she takes out her flip phone. Barry wakes up in the hospital. Henry's like standing over him. Barry's like, no, no, no. He's like, I can't be here. He, he gets up. Henry's like, uh, I'm Dr. Allen. He's like, you're going to be in a lot of pain. Barry's like, where are my clothes? And he's like, it's in a bag. Then Nora comes in and she's like, oh, thank goodness you're okay. Henry's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, this is my wife. And Barry's just like staring at her. And Henry's like, what's your name? He's like, you didn't have any ID on you. And Barry's just like, Bart. And he, so they ask if there's anyone that they can call for him, any family. And he kind of snaps out. He's like, no, no. He's like, I, I can't be here. And Henry's like, you need to know that you're not alone. He's like, let us help you, son. And he looks at him, and then he kind of starts to lose his balance, and he leans on the bed. He says that you know he's been running a lot, so his blood sugar is just really low. Nora's like, the boy needs to eat, and they're like, what about Zatara's? And, and you know, because Henry's like, they have the best pizza in town, so they insist on feeding him, which is weird. It's like, would they do this just like whatever complete random stranger? Maybe they would. Maybe they're that nice. So he's like, oh, I really shouldn't. Nora's like, we won't take no for an answer. So at the the place where Barry was in, in the street. Uh, Detective Singh comes up to Joe and he's like, oh, I thought it was a hit and run. Joe's like, there was never a hit. So he, he mentions uh, the kid who was snooping around the station and Singh's like, what's the connection? Joe says that he doesn't know, but whatever he was running from has him terrified and his gut tells him that he needs their help. Singh's like, okay, I'm going to go get the other officers up to speed. Then Joe hears like a, a growly voice call his name and he sees like a blue crystal on the ground. He picks it up with like a, a glove and then his eyes kind of flash blue and he puts it in his pocket and Singh turns around. He's like, are you all right? He's like, never better. So Joe's like possessed or something now. Pizza time. Barry thanks them. Says, you know, he's like, oh, your son must be very lucky to have you. Who the heck is watching his son? Their son. Where's little, little Barry? 
Nora asks about his folks, you know, where are they? And he's like, oh, they died. It was a long time ago. But, you know, sometimes it hurts like it was yesterday. And he's like, you know, maybe I'm still trying to, you know, run, run away from it. And Nora's like, no one is fast enough to run from pain like that. She asks if he believes in fate because she does. She thinks there's a reason they met. You know, for one day, he doesn't have to go through it alone. You know, does he have the place to stay? They can, he can stay at their house. It's like, come on. So Barry kind of scoots back, and he's he's like, it means more to me than you'll ever know. But you know, he's got to go. So he tries running, and then he like stops again. There's like another red flash. It's Eobard, and he's like, every time I think you're gone, you come back to destroy my life. He's like, starts like shoving him back against the wall. He's like, it ends today, Thon. He's like vibrating his hand like close to his his, his chest or like close to his face. Thon grabs his wrist and pulls it close to his chest. He's like, go on, do it. But then Barry pulls back, of course. And he like turns around and Thon's like, so predictable as always. And Bear's like, shut up. He's like, so what are we doing in the year 2000? And Bear's like, cut the crap. I know you brought me here. And he's like, uh, no, I didn't. I guess that makes our meeting a case of right place, right time. Oh, Flash, we're going to have the most wonderful date together. So they go um, to the one and only bar in town, <laughs> Mick, Mick, whatever it is. Uh, Thane raises, he's like, a, a toast to us. And but Barry doesn't even touch his beer. And Barry asks him to tell him, he's like, what do you want? Thon's like, well, maybe it's a gift, to, uh, you know, to torture you before I end your existence forever or entirely. And Barry comes to the realization, he's like, you're here to kill me as a child? And Thon's like, you always were smart. Too bad you're not smart enough now. There's only two ways to stop me. One, put me in iron heights right now and risk destroying the timeline, which would risk that wonderful wife and family in a heartbeat. And Barry's like, and the second option? You have to kill me, which you won't. So I guess I've already won. And he's like, how was the parental reunion today? You know, one last time for them to care for you. Did you feel loved? Did you feel like you had a family? And Bear's like, you attacked me this morning. You knew they'd help me. Oh, it must hurt to not be able to tell them that you're their son. Does being this close to them bring back all the pain I've ever given you? Good. Barry, like, slams his fist down. He's asked if his, pl if his plan is so perfect. Why is he wasting so much time? Why not just wipe me off the face of the earth right now? Thon, like, kind of chuckles. He's like, and ruin my, my piece, piece, of, piece of resistance. What was that, that phrase? He's like, no, I'm going to savor this entire day. Now there's one last thing. I want to he hear you say it. And Barry whispers, he's like, you win. I can't stop you. Thon sighs. He's like, Delicious. When Barry gets up, he's like, you can't walk away from what's about to happen, Barry. He's like, I know. I can walk towards it. And he leaves. It's nighttime. Nora thinks he's like, oh, we should be out there looking for him. Henry says that he knows, but but they're like they're still at the hospital. It's like, it's like they're not with their kid. So Henry's like, you know, you can't give help to someone who doesn't want it. But then Barry's there. He's in the doorway. He's like, it's not that I don't want your help. So Harris, Henry's like, oh, we've been so worried about you. And Barry's like, that means the world to me. You know, especially today, ever since they passed, I never stopped wondering, you know, what I would give to have them back just for one day. If that happened, what would I say? Nora's like, well, you can tell us. And Barry's like, your love made me who I am. And despite the darkness, I still carry your light inside me every single day. And so will your granddaughter. And Nora's like, I know your parents would have loved that. Henry says that, you know, wherever they are, they're proud of him. Uh, Nora like hugs him and Henry you know kind of joins in then Nora's like you know you take care of that baby so Barry watches him as they leave and then he hears like growling from 
is it Thon? It's like, I don't, it was actually, I, I know it's not Thon. There's some growling going on. So he looks around. He goes into like this back hallway and Joe's standing there. And he's like, Barry, it's okay. It's me. And he's like, Joe? He's like, and I know you've been stuck in the, here in the past. Barry's like, I have no idea how I got here. And Joe's like, relax, son. He's like, everything's fine now. And Barry's like, Thon kills my, my mom today. He's like, I know. He's like, Barry, I know what happens today. And then his eyes go glow blue. I've been waiting for it since the dawn of time. Barry steps back. He's like, you're not Joe. He's like, who are you? And he's like, I, I'm leveling the playing field that your legacy has created. Barry's like, negative speed force? You're the new avatar? That's impossible. Joe doesn't hate me. And he's like, no, I'm not the avatar. You killed him, remember? I'm the real deal. You're going to pay for what you've done. Barry's like, you want to fight me? Fine, let Joe go. He's like, I can't. He's part of the plan. They all are. He's like, now shut up and die. And he blasts him with like blue energy. People in the hospital are starting to freak out because I guess the, the blast kind of like rocks the building. So negative speed force says, you know, Barry is going to experience a world of pain. And Barry's like, I don't think so. And so he's like, I'm not afraid of you, boy. I'm a force of nature, but this body is human. Kill me, you kill your own father. Barry says that, you know, neither of them can win. And the speed force is like, Thawne died. So can you. He sends another blast from him. Barry runs into the hospital, shakes again. Singh and some other officers arrive to help evacuate you know, the hospital. It's like they got there pretty quickly. And so Negative Joe is like looking for Barry. He's like, what's it going to be? Run home and save your mother and risk ti the timeline, including baby Nora, or stop me? Barry throws some energy at him. He gets a little angry when he hears that. Negative Joe sends blue energy at Barry. He ducks. He moves. Give it, give up and die, boy. You have no choice. Barry zips around and throws energy at, at Nega Joe, and he goes flying. Barry sees his body lying, lying on the ground. He goes to see if Joe's all right. He's like, Joe. And then he gets up slowly. Joe? He Then he puts his arm around his neck, starts like zapping him. He's like, you are the chosen one for nine years, but tonight a new world begins, which is the name of this story arc. Barry struggles you know, to hold his, his hand back. He closes his eyes, thinks of Iris. His energy kind of takes over and combines with, with the negative Joes. And there's like energy backlash. Singh gets like hit in the, the hallway, so I don't know what's up with that. Is he going to get some powers now? Barry checks on Joe and sees blue crystal on the floor, and it like disappears. And then Singh comes in, and Barry grabs Joe and, and zips out of there. He puts Joe in his squad car because then Joe's like sitting there. He's like, wait, what? And he's like a little confused and like looks at his hand. I guess where, you know, he was holding the crystal maybe. Barry runs and he's like, run, run. And you, you hear like just voices like, run, Barry, run. All, all that usual stuff. Reverse Flash is running. Then they both meet outside the house. He's like, you destroy an entire timeline to save your pathetic existence? And Barry's like, no, Thon, I'm not here to save myself. I'm here to save you. Thon says that, you know, Barry took the credit that he should have had and barry's like i'm sorry he thon just chuckles he's like is that what this is all about making amends for ruining my life well it's too late and barry's like it's not too late he's like you could still have the life you want it's like you know all they did was you know cause each other pain tonight you can change all that just by walking away and thon says that that's not what this is about he's like you know i win tonight and barry's like that's what this is all about. You win one battle with us, not the war between us. If you don't walk away tonight, you will lose everything. Thon like stares at him and like laughs. He's like, liar. He's like, don't you know who I am? I've always been the hero. You're the villain. You reversed my life and dragged me to hell. And he's like, this is why it happens tonight. And he like zips off. Nora 
notices her her wine is like floating up out of her mug. Then the fight's at her house. Nora's stuck inside the circle of energy. So we've seen this scene many, many times. And then we see like where Flash sees the other Flash, which I thought they already explained the two Flashes. So I don't think this, I didn't think this Flash was our current Flash. And little Barry, he gets zipped outside by one of the Flashes. Thawne runs and then he like stumbles and rolls. He goes as Pommy asks Gideon because he downloaded a version of Gideon or whatever. He's like, what happened? She says that his ability to move at super speed and travel through time has been depleted. Then he's like, how am I supposed to get back? You can't. Then he screams. Barry arrives. He's like, I don't understand how. He's like, you saved yourself and you let me kill her instead? Why? Barry's like, I had no choice. He's like, killing your mother. It's a fixed point. You knew this was going to happen. And now I'm stuck here in a hell and I get to watch you grow up. He's like, even, even if I have to tear the universe apart, I will find a way to take you down and everyone you love. He's like, this night, my focus changes. Barry's like, I know. This night used to haunt me. Not anymore. Because today, I got to see my parents one last time to feel how much they loved me. And Thawne's like, this is the worst night of your life. I know it. Barry's like, and today brought me to peace I've been looking for ever since. I have you to thank for that, Eobard, and I will always be grateful. Then then Barry gets some pain. He stumbles back, consumed by the blue energy, and he's gone. Then Eobard screams, no, like Darth Vader. Then we see Eddie, Eddie Thon. He wakes up at his like station. He's got like this, I don't know if it's a fancy computer. It's like one of those see-through digital screens or whatever. The power flickers in, in this this room. There's thunder rumbling outside. He goes to the window. He looks and he sees like red lightning and like purple skies. He looks at his his hands and then the, some chemicals on the shelf start floating. He's like, that's impossible. Lightning strikes him. He flies into the shelf of chemicals behind him. The light the kind of flickers off and whatever, the lightning, whatever. And then he wakes up, he gets up, he gasps, gets up off the shelf. He sees a confidential police report on the floor. It's a redacted file, incident report, name of victim, Detective Eddie Thon. Location of incident, unknown. Reporting officer, um, Detective Yaroslow. I don't know if it's be like Yar or something. Whatever. It mentions that he died. There's lots of redacted information. And then he flips up, there's a picture like behind the file. Deceased is like kind of marked on it. Then he's like, who the hell is Eddie Thon? And to be continued. No idea what that means, <laughs> but, but that that's how it is. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's just weird how it took a jump. And maybe it's because of the abbreviated season. Maybe there's like, okay, whatever time is going to pass. We want, maybe they're, they're hoping to have like the birth of Nora at the end of the show. I don't know, but it's just weird that there was no like six months later or nine months later. I, I guess they mention it, so I guess we just know that. But that was okay. I, I, I mean, it was an all right episode. It, it was nice seeing Barry's parents. You know, I, I, I can't imagine what that'd be like. So you know, there's there's some nice moments for for that, but the whole, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's just the first part, so I'm not sure what this blue negative speed force energy and what the heck is with Eddie. Who knows? So that was a flash this week. Okay, then with Titans, season four, episode 11, Project Starfire. So Corey's like in her outfit, her suit. She's like walking down this like hall. There's like pipes overhead, whatever. She reaches like this window or portal. and There's like just blue shimmery energy in her and her eyes glow. But then she was dreaming. So she wakes up at Star Labs. Um, the screen's like there's no matches found for Sebastian. You know, they're trying to locate him. Then she goes like out in a balcony. She talks to Dick. 
you know, Sebastian's gone underground and there's no word on Connor either. So they must be working together. Then she asked him, she's like, if you could be any place on earth, where would it be? He kind of smiles and he's like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, here's pretty nice. And after a couple of seconds, she's like, she agrees. She's like, yeah, it is pretty nice here. So it's flirting. And then his phone beeps. He's like, oh, I got to get back. Tim is trying to check on Bernard. The doctor, the lady says that you know, there's no change. Uh, status of, he, he is still having like continuous seizures or whatever. Dick comes in with a big case. And Tim's like, you going somewhere? He's like, nope, you are. He's like, I need you back in Gotham. Tim's like, you're sending me home? Dick's like, kind of. He's like, there's a guy who used to work for the organization. He has information on Mother Mayhem, and we need it. Tim's hesitant. He's like, you know, he's like, Bernard's not really looking good. And Dick's like, you're not doing him any good by staying here. He's like, the guy's name is Venta. He lives down on Harbor. He's like, I told him you were coming. So Dick starts walking away, and Tim's like, that's it? Just get the information and report back? Dick's like, that's it. He's like, keep your eyes open. Gotham's still Gotham. He's like, I need you back in one piece. He's like, if anything changes with Bernard, I'll call. Then Tim's like, well, what about the suitcase? Dick like, turns to him. He's like, I don't know. Open it. And then he like walks out. So Tim t- takes it, sets it on the table, opens it up. It's, and it's, it's uh, obviously we know what, what it is, or I think we know what it, we're supposed to know what it is. But it's, it's kind of like dramatic how he just like, Opens it because like, unsnaps. You know the the latches very slowly. His eyes go wide and his jaw kind of drops, but we don't see it just yet. Uh, there's news reports on you know Sebastian's fans want to know why his game's been shut down. There are reports you know also that the game is causing mysterious medical side effects, and we see the horn sitting on a table. You know Sebastian's having a drink. Um, the news like the biggest mystery of all is where is Sebastian Singer. And then he gets angrily, goes whip the glass, throw the glass at the TV with all his might. But Connor easily catches it, and he smiles. He's like, patience. Uh, and then Sebastian's like almost slurring a little bit. He's like, you know your friends destroyed my game, and they took my powers. So don't tell me to have patience. He's like, I want them back now. Connor like pours a drink. He's like, the Titans aren't my friends, and they didn't take your powers. It was your mother. He's like, what are you talking about? Connor's like, retribution for you refusing to call your daddy. He's like, don't worry. It's okay. We kill her. Powers will be restored. Then we're back on track to run the world however the fudge we want. He hands the drink to Sebastian. I was going to say, it's like, does Connor really need to drink? Can he drink? Is, he, is there any effect? So then we see, you know, Mother Mayhem back at the, she makes it back to the temple. People are still chanting. She's, she's healed. So she's not like toasty burnt anymore. She tells us one dude, she's like, the Titans destroyed Sebastian's beloved game. And, and, you know, she's being kind of sarcastic or whatever, like, oh, boo-hoo. And she's like, oh, they're finally being useful. This woman followed and comes up to her and asks if Sebastian has returned with the horn. You know, and she talks about her devotion, how she'd do anything for her son. And mother's like, I'd like to ask for your help. You know, to complete his journey, my son needs someone to give themselves to him. And and basically, she's basically saying, like, with your body, dot, dot, dot. And she's like, I'm, you know, I'm honored that you've chose me. He's like, my heart belongs to your son since we first met. Mother smiles, like, and so it shall remain. Sticks her hand in her chest, pulls out her heart, and she kind of like squeezes it. It turns into like this red crystal. And Gotham, <laughs> poor Gotham, like the bat signal still up. It's like dude, Batman hasn't been around. Is, is he still Batman? What happened to Bruce Wayne? He's not dead, is he? Did he die? I don't even remember now. 
But anyways, so it, it's like raining. <laughs> There's some thugs like running in the street to his van. They have, have stolen jewels and like some bags. Tim jumps down. He's wearing a robin suit, so that was what was in the case. He's like, I'm looking for Venta. And the guy's like, who are you? And he's like, a friend of Dick Grayson. It's like, should he be using Dick Grayson? Does I, uh, then they're like, flying Grayson? Any friend of Grayson is a dead man. And then they, they start fighting. He's using uh, his, his bow staff. He's like fighting on him. He takes one down, and then the other two start shooting at him. And they have like, I think like like semi-automatic you know guns or whatever. And then he like he jumps for cover. But then they get shot. Who's, who shot him? Red Hood. Red Hood's back. He's back again. Ask a friend. Um, and he takes, and so I'm like, wait, who is this? He takes off the helmet. It's, it actually is Jason Todd. He's like, who the fudge are you supposed to be? And Tim's like, I'm Robin. So I'm trying to think. I don't know if Jason, uh, yeah, Jason and Tim, I don't think they met. Then uh, this lady comes up to Corey, shows her something on a tablet. What we don't really see. We see, I don't think we see something, but I couldn't really tell what it was. Connor's like goes out in the street. Mercy texts him like, "What's the delay?" He just looks at it, crunches his phone, throws it in the garbage. Rachel asks Scar if he's seen Tim, and he's like, "No, uh, Dick sent him to Gotham on assignment." She's like, "Do you think he's ready for that?" And Gar's like, "Well, Dick thinks he is." She mutters, "Dick thinks he is." <laughs> then she says, "Like, oh, it's a trend now. People, you know, disappearing without telling me." So Gar apologized for being scarce lately because he's been spending, you know, more time in the red. And the more he does, the less he's sure where he's supposed to be, here or there. She's like, I think there. And Gar's like, wow. He's like, oh, nice knowing you too. She's like, no, that's not what I meant. And she's talking about you know, feeling a similar way. She just wants to change, something different. She feels like she's on the edge of a cliff and she just wants to jump and see. And, you know, maybe he should too. He's like, well, maybe I want to know what's at the bottom of the cliff first. She's like, I don't think it works that way. And Dick comes in. He's like, have you seen Corey? They're like, no. They're like, well... At check around to see who saw her last. Sebastian calls Connor, like leaves a message. He's like, "Where are you?" He's like, "What's the plan? Call me back." But he, he destroyed his phone. <laughs> and then you hear, "We hurt the ones we loved the most." Mother is there, and she's like, "I have to say, really fudging hurt." He mumbles, I, I, "I'm sorry." He's like, "You took my powers." She's like, "I did no such thing. Your powers are yours, if you use them wisely." And he says that, you know, she wanted him to bring back his father. He wanted something for himself. And she kind of like smiles. She's like, I know what you crave. You tasted the power, the adulation. If you bring back your father, you'll get everything you ever wanted. And then she takes his hand, like in both his hands, and like holding it. And then just like, he starts like kind of almost like it's painful. He's like feeling something. And then she lets go and the red crystals in his palm. He like falls to his knees, like holds it to his head, whatever. And then she tells him, she's like, meet me at the temple tonight. And she actually picks up the horn off his desk. Gar and Rachel are looking for Corey to ask this room full of people if anyone's seen her. And Noah's like, no, no. But then there's one lady who kind of looks down or whatever. And this is a lady that showed Corey to something on a tablet. So Rachel's like, there. So she goes up to her. She's like, you spoke to Miss Anders? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, yeah, you do. Then she looks at the, the lady with them. And she's like, I don't consent to them using their powers to analyze me. Rachel's like, I didn't use my powers. She's just a bad liar. So then the lady's like, fine. Miss Anders asked me to try and track Superboy by using our SATCOM heat tracker. Normally, we just use it to detect thermal activity. But since Superboy's laser vision has a heat signature, I got a hit. Gar's like, well, why didn't you tell us? And she's like, Miss Anders preferred that I keep that information to myself. 
Tim is following Jason his like rundown building, and Jason's like Venta, and Tim's like yeah. Jason, Jason's like never heard of him. So Tim's like Dick says he's got information organization. Maybe you know, maybe we could team up on this. And Tim or Jason's like I don't team anymore. He like hits some stuff and like security turned off or something like that. So this rundown place actually has a security system. Tim's like you don't understand. He's like brother Voodoo put my boyfriend in a coma. Jason's like how long have you been doing this Robin thing? And Tim's like, uh, not long. So Jason's like, a couple weeks? Uh, not quite. A week? And Jason, Tim's like, last night was my first night. He's like, oh, the suit did look fresh off the rack. He's like, if I were you, I'd get out of Gotham. Tim's like, Dick sent me to find Venta. He says, you know, Tim, Jason's whatever. He's like, your funeral. He's like, you can crash here if you don't have plans. He's like, I mean, there's eggs, beer, cheese. So Tim's like, thanks. Then he like looks at his like work, you know. There's like stuff written on like a like a screen, like a board. He's like, "You working on something?" He's like, "No, I'm trying to pay to utilities or something like that." So you know, he's a little snarky, but he's like, "Shimmer has been pulling off uh, high end heists all over Gotham and sending ciphers as clues." So Tim's like looking at what he wrote, and he starts like you know erasing. And Jason's like, "What? What are you doing?" He's like, "You got this this A part right, but the rest is off." He's like, "What you?" And he's like. It's a Fibonacci sequence. Each number is the sum of two numbers that precede it. So let me ask you this. Pause here. Or don't pause here. Pause on the coverage. I feel like everyone should know what the Fibonacci sequence is. I learned it long ago, obviously. You know, I'm a math teacher. I've been, you know, I just feel like the Fibonacci sequence is such a simple thing. Because you just take the two numbers. You know, it's one, one, two, three, five, eight. You just add the two numbers before it. 13 um but i feel like it's been used in so much different media it's it just it kind of drives me nuts every time it comes up and there's someone like what's that but it's because it's like it's in nature it's in pine cone it's, it's flowers it's whatever so he's like fixing all this stuff the letters spell kaleidoscope so jason he curses and then he calls barbara he's like uh kaleidoscope auction house he's like that's the target for shimmer's next hit he kind of glances at Tim. He's like, and I'll take my usual percentage. So he's getting money to give to help Barbara out with some tips. At the office where Connor walks in, Sebastian's like, where have you been? And, and Connor's like, we're all good. He's like, I got a plan. And Sebastian's like, so have I. And he kind of gives a creepy smile. He's like, my mother was here. It's all clear now. When I summon my father, I'm going to get my powers back. He's like, don't worry. I won't cut you out. I'll make sure we both get what we deserve. And Connor's like, Sebastian, she's lying to you. He's like, no, 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 no. See, I used to think my game was the answer, but it's not. Family is. And Connor's like, your mother's using you. Sebastian's like, maybe you're using me, hmm? To get what you want? Vengeance for your father? Connor's like, she's trying to kill you. And Sebastian screams, no, my mother loves me. So Connor's like, fine. If you won't believe me, throw some guy on the floor. Believe him. It's a confessor dude, which um, I think we sound like the first episode of season. He's one, I think, I forget what he did. If he first talked to Mother Mayhem, whatever, way back. Tim says that, you know, he's been asking all over the harbor about Venta. No one's heard of him. Jason's like, oh, it must be deep cover or, or dead. You know, he, then, you know, Tim's like kind of twirling his staff. He's like, you like that thing? Can you actually use it? And, and Tim's like, why don't we go a few rounds? And I'll show you. Jason's like, one round. So they get ready, knocks it out of his hands like right away. So Jason's like, maybe two rounds. 
Mercy's like at a computer, like some LexCorp facility, whatever, like off off site place. Um, she hears a thud in this other room. She pulls out a gun. She and she gets disarmed by Corey. Got a minute. Tim and Jason they go again, and Tim's like, "Okay, give me what you got." Jason grabs the staff, bops him in the face. He's like, "You really you rely too much on your toys." Tim gets up and he's like, "Okay." So J- Jason's like, "On three, I'm gonna attack. You ready? One." punches him tim goes down he's like what the fudge you said three and jason's like yeah the riddler's not gonna count so they do more and more different training and then you know jason has some pads and different stuff like that and then we're part like you know jason helps him up and then he, he jason or tim helps jason up but then jason grabs his arm and like twists it and do all this stuff but then there's a point where, where um J- uh, tim is like starting to like dodge a little more and he, he gets in he actually kind of flips jason a bit or whatever so jason's like okay now that you're warmed up suit up and meet me downstairs Corey like shoves mercy in a chair and she uh she comments that you know Corey's needs her to find superboy he's like oh if only lex were here to enjoy this and Corey's like lex is dead unless you'd like to join him i suggest you tell me where connor is you know whatever mission you sent him on he hasn't killed sebastian but i will and Mercy's like, if you can get to him, Connor broke off communication with me. His mission was to kill Sebastian and his mother, but it seemed like he switched sides. Corey's like, that's impossible. And she goes on to like, you know, two young men, you know, not being appreciated for their abilities, like all that anger or whatever. She's like, I've seen it before. I've seen it with Lex. So she's like, so if you're ready to kill Sebastian, are you ready to kill Connor too? And then you hear Dick walks in. He's like, no one is killing Connor. Gar and Rachel are with them. Then he asks Corey, he's like, you making new friends? Connor's like kind of like beating his confessor dude, like demanding the truth. He's like, what happens when Trigon comes to Earth? Then he's like, it will be nothing. And Connor's like, louder. He's like, and he's blah, blah, blah. He's like, you'll be reduced to ash as Trigon cleanses the Earth of all unfit filth and restores its glory. Sebastian like doesn't believe this. And he like starts coughing, gets on his knees, falls to his knees, coughs out the crystal. And confessor like laughs and Sebastian gets up. He's like, I'm not nothing. And he like, starts like going at after confessor, or whatever, like choking or whatever. Connor pulls him off, and the confessor just keeps laughing. Dick's like, says Corey, he's like, I thought we were doing this together. And she's like, we can't. She's like, I need to do this, and I can't have you stopping me. He's like, come on, Corey, we can do this. She's like, I tried. People are paying the price. This is just the beginning. It's like, I've seen it in my dream. This ends with me. Gar's like, maybe not. So he saw that, that Mercy was deleting files, so he pulls one from the trash. There's like this kryptonite lattice, kryptonite ballistics, whatever. Dick s- says uh, this Lex's weapons development division. So Gar pulls up Project Starfire. So there's like this device and says that, you know, Lex did it. She's like, he stole my name? But Gar's like, he stole more than your, just your name. The weapon was designed to replicate her blue light. And then she turns to Mercy. She's like, talk. So Mercy says, Lex knew you had the power to stop Brother Blood, and he wanted that power for himself. So he attempted to replicate it. Rachel's like, is that even possible? Dick says, well, if anyone could, it's Lex. He's like, you'd be surprised what jealousy and a poop ton of money can do. Mercy's like, it wasn't jealousy. He was determined to leave an enduring uh, legacy, you know, show the world that he was as beneficent. I think that's the word she used, Benef- beneficent, beneficent, whatever, beneficent, as kal and dick's like 
you know, he looks looks at schematic. He's like, looks like he he did it. he did it. He was able to replicate the powers. Mercy says that Lex had a lab where he conducted his weapons development and testing. She believes that the location and access codes are somewhere in those encrypted files. And Guard takes out like a thumb drives, and he's like, and we got them now. And she's like, do you really need to take all of them? He's like, yeah, no, but he, he does. So somehow he got all the files on his thumb drive. And I don't know how he copied them if they're encrypted, but whatever, I guess it's that easy. And I don't know if he did, he delete them all, whatever. So uh, then she tells Dick, he's like, you should know I gave a copy of those files to Connor before he went rogue. Rachel's like, if he unencrypted them before us, Corey's like, then he can destroy it before we, we even get there. So I'm assuming this machine. So they start heading out. Rachel asks, she's like, well, what about her? What about, you know, Mercy? Corey's like, well, if this doesn't work, we all die anyways. And so she'll stay out of her way. And Mercy's like, you know, consider me team self-preservation. So they start leaving and she's like, Starfire, good luck. Corey just looks at her and then just turns around. Then Tim's suited up. He, you know, he's down in the lobby or whatever the, of the like apartment and just rundown building thing. He calls out to Jason and in the computer voice, like perimeter alert intrusion. And then this man comes, calls out, there's the a-hole, get him. So he sees three guys. It's like, what's going on? Where's Jason? He sees three guys running towards him, but he isn't aware there's like one behind him who hits him. So then he, the staff gets knocked out of his hand. Someone like kicks it away. Then this dude's like shimmer sensor regards. And they start like kicking and hitting him. So he grabs something and like hits him with it. And he, he, he takes some hits as well. He uses a big thing, which I think was a dust buster that was mentioned later. Cause it's like on a wire. He uses like swings it at them, hits them. Then he grabs kind of like a folding chair. He like hits some people and like slams someone's hand in there or whatever. This big dude grabs him, starts choking him, you know, right in the neck. But then he's able to, you know, pull down. There's like a light bulb hanging and he like kind of smashes in his head and kind of jabs him a little bit with it. So he takes him out. They're Finally, they're all, all gone. It, I thought there was only four, but then it was like, wait, is there more than four? But then then you you hear Jason call out. He's like, hey, you owe me a new laptop. The dustbuster I'll forget about because it was broken anyways. And Tim's like, you were watching, it didn't help? Jason's like, actually, I'm I'm su surprised it took Shimmer's gang this long to get here after I let them triangulate my location. Let them? Then he turns to Tim. He's like, you learn by doing, not being coddled. And he shakes his hand. He's like, you're welcome. And he, he walks away, and he's like, nicely done. And Tim's like catching his breath. He's like, thanks. So it's just weird because, you know, Jason had this base kind of set up, and then he just gives out the location. So is he going to have to, you know, pick up and leave? I don't know. Um, Sebastian hisses at Connor. He's like, you said he would be useful to us. How? We're talking about the uh, confessor dude, whatever. And Connor's like, the blood running through his veins is infused with your mother's magic. He's like, we need to transfer that power to you. So the confessor's like mumbling. He's like, all oh, whatever. He's like, when he comes, it will rain heavenly succor to those who believe, those who endured. Take my corporal form, please. Connor, like, then he opens a corkscrew and, like, jabs his arm. Then he's like, drink. So blood's kind of, like, just gushing, like, kind of trickling out, pouring out, out of his arm. So Confessor's sobbing. He's like, oh. And Sebastian's, like, latches on his arm like a vampire. He's, like, sucking. Connor's, like, turns away, you know, because he doesn't want to look. And then Sebastian's face, you know, his jaws like, all covered in blood. And then he pants. He's like, I can feel her power rising in me. It's like, Sebastian, you're such a dork. And then next we see Connor's like in a bathroom, like washing up and he like looks at his reflection. So you can see he's not, it's almost like he's regretting what he's doing, but it's like, dude, why are you doing it then? Right? 
Jason says to Tim, he's like, sorry about kicking you out, but he's like, I have a rule about fishing you, Robbins, 24 hours max. Tim's like, oh, it's all good. He's like, I'd get back anyways, you know, check on my boyfriend. And Jason's like, if I hear about your guy, Venta, I'll, I'll hit you. He's like, sorry, it was a bust. So it's like, what, who is this Venta guy? And then uh, Tim's like, well, I'm glad I came. I got to meet the great Red Hood. And he like, chuckles. And Jason's like, was I in your fudging bucket list? And he's like, kind of, yeah. They both laugh about it. So it's kind of cool that you know they're, they're having this like bonding moment, whatever. And then Jason's like, good luck in Metropolis. He's like, and if the poop hits the fan, just hide behind Raven and Starfire. He's like, got it. And then Jason's like, enjoy the ride home. And he tosses Tim some keys. And then there's a motorcycle with a note, welcome to the wild side. So now here's the thing. What about this Venta that he couldn't find? This is what I was kind of wondering, but I was like, no, whatever. And then you hear Dick on the phone, Jason, how'd it go? And Jason's like, sending him back to you in one piece. And Dick's like, hope you didn't go too easy on him. He's like, don't worry, I didn't. He's like, and Dick, he'll be a better Robin than me. And he's like staring at like the, the cipher work, the Fibonacci stuff that, that Tim did. Then we see Dick and Corey, they're walking down the tunnel. Raven and Gar and RV looking at like the schematics that are going to like Lux's lab thing. They're telling Dick like which way to go and, you know, working on cracking the security code because I guess they're both expert hack. Are they expert hackers? I don't remember. Then Connor's like suddenly in front of them. And Corey's like, uh, we might have a bigger problem. Then Connor raises his hands. He's like, it's okay. I'm on your side. And you can barely see because it's, it's, you know, it's kind of dark, whatever. But he's wearing his black Superboy T-shirt. Dick says to Corey, he's like, let me talk to him. So he walks forward. Connor's like, if you want to take a swing at me, I wouldn't blame you. And Dick's like, I would, but I'd probably break my hand. They both kind of chuckle at this. Connor's like, I thought I could do it myself. Stop Sebastian. Stop them both. And Dick's like, you could have asked for help. And Connor's like, I needed to do it alone. I had to prove it. Dick's like, to who? Lex. Superman and then he like turns you know the look away he's like you he's like I made things worse I did things things Titans don't do Dick's like people like us we're closer to darkness we seek it out you know sometimes it has its way but it's like why is Dick have this darkness Dick is like he Dick Grayson is like the most cheerful like positive people person in the Bat family practically I don't know and then Connor turns around he's like we're supposed to be better and Dick's like, sometimes we're not. That's why we have each other. Connor's like, I tried. I, I, I tried to keep Sebastian close, use his game as a distraction. When I found out he was hurting people, I created a vulnerability in a code to try to help you bring it down. And Dick's like, yeah, I figured that was you. And he has a smile on his face. And Connor's like, it was enough. He's like, I'm sorry, Dick. Dick just nods. He's like, we can fix this together. And Connor's like, you trust me again? Dick's like, the truth is, we need you. And Connor's like, how do the others feel about that? Corey calls the dick at that moment and says that Gar cracked the security code in Lux's lab. So then she's like, so is, is he in or out? And Dick's like, he's in. They enter the lab. Dick asks for the security code. Gar's like, it's like, oh, you're going to love this. It's elements. So it's sulfur, which is S, tantalum, T-A, ruthafordium, R-F, iodine, which is I, and then rhenium, R-E. So it spells starfire. So they they all enter. There's this like orb, this thing on on a pedestal, and uh, Connor uses X-ray vision. He's checking. He's like the construction of the shell is nested, perfectly aligned to the nanometer kinetic shielding. But the surface of each plate has a microarray of energy absorption to house the energy across the sphere itself. And the internal mechanism are flawless but fully intact. 
And he's like, goes like, move closer. And Dick's like, whoa. He's like, maybe don't touch anything until we understand how it fully works. And he's like, well, actually, uh, it doesn't. Gar on a comments, he's like, yeah, Connor's right. And Rachel's like, according to Lex's files, the engineering is complete, but it's lacking an energy source to activate it. And Corey says, my blue light. So Dick's like, so Lex wasn't keeping tabs on you to learn about your powers. He needed you. And she's like, honestly, who doesn't? Connor's like, the orb's like a nuclear grenade meant to only be launched at a metahuman. If the math is right, the metahuman absorbs all of the blasts. Gar's like, otherwise it'd blow a hole in a planet. And Dick's like, if the math is right. So activation is pretty straightforward. Corey infuses the orb with her power. It's designed to initiate a fission chain reactor. And Gar's like, and the orb holds the energy until we pull the pin. And Connor's like, that's pretty much the idea. Dick asks if this thing's ever been tested. And Connor's like, he says, prototype. Corey says, so if she sets off the chain reaction, there's no way to know if the weapon will destroy brother blood or, and Gar's like, kill us all. They get ready to, to, to try it. Corey and Connor stay in the one like main room. Dick gets in a control room to get ready to hit the nuclear shielding in case something goes wrong. Corey lights up. The heat around the orb is, is rising. Dick, um, he's like, oh, we should stand down. Something's wrong. The computer's like, prepare for nuclear shielding. Connor's like trying to help. You know, he's he's there, you know, around the orb too. Dick's he's like, get out of there. And Corey's like, no, no, is this our only chance? So Dick tries shutting it down. He hits like the, the shutoff thing, but then there's an error, so it's not working. And then he's like at some big cables, like pulling wires and stuff like that. Computers beeping, whatever. And Corey and Connor are able to like release the energy. And Corey's like, it, it, it stops. And Corey's like, you shouldn't have stopped it. Dick's like, but you could have been killed. And she's like, how far do we get? And Gar's like, 98.6%. Corey's like, I hope that's enough. Dick says, it's going to have to be. So they're going to have to trust Connor to use the orb because he's the only one who can get close enough. Connor says that they're meeting at the temple soon. However, they want to do this. They don't have much time. So Gar and Rachel both nod at Corey and, you know, holding the orb. She hands it to him and he's like, I won't let you down. He zips off. At the temple, Sebastian enters and mother's there. She's like, my beautiful boy. And the horn's like uh, there also. She says that the day has come. They must move quickly. You know, the Titans and the Tamaranian will never stop. Sebastian's like, neither will I. He steps aside and Connor's behind him. And she hisses, what have you done? Uh, she sends off a blast of energy from her staff, but Sebastian manages to deflect it, like kind of contain it and redirects it at her. She gets knocked back, and Connor picks up her staff and you know, kind of looks at it. Sebastian picks up the horn. He's like, holds it with both his hands. He's like, "Don't make it! Don't make me destroy it!" Mother's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm taking what's mine," and she's like, "No, you must listen to me." He's like, no, it's time for you to listen to me. You never cared about me, did you? You were just using me. All I wanted was a family. Well, guess what? You underestimated me. Just like everyone else, I'm done with you. She's like, my sweet child, the Titans are done with you. Don't you see? They're filling your head with lies. The world can be yours. We're so close. Don't let them take this away. He whispers, I won't let anyone take that away from me. And then he stabs her with the horn. And then he pushes in further. Blood's like coming from her mouth. Connor's like watches. And then uh, Sebastian pulls out the horn. Like energy is like, like starts pouring out of her. I don't know if it's her blood. And it's like goes into Sebastian. It's almost like smoke, red energy or whatever. Connor's like zips off. Mother just turns to ash. She's gone again, maybe. Connor's like, hey, 
and then he has an orb. He's like, catch. It goes off and enclosed. There's like this uh, blue like sphere, energy sphere around Sebastian. He drops the horn, and it looks like it disappears, but I guess it doesn't. The sphere around him it gets like tighter and closes, and it's Sebastian because you know he's lifted up. Then he gets dropped to the ground. His body's like smoking. Connor goes up to him, and he turns his back on him for some stupid reason. Sebastian gets up, starts rising, like floating up. He has a cape on now somehow, and this little weird, like almost like a bone mask or whatever. He's like, "My turn!" He like yells and he blasts at Connor, which Connor should have been able to dodge. He has super speed. If he can go take off. If he can let go of his apple, run back to a computer thing, enter a bunch of code, go back, catch an apple before it moves as a fraction of a centimeter, he should be able to dodge this. But then he goes flying back and hits, slams into a wall. In the RV, Rachel sees his blue energy disappear. She's like, what happened? Gar's like, no, 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 no. He's like, the orb never reached its heat apex. So it was like it was subsumed before it could deal with the killing blow. And Rachel's like, subsumed by what? And Gar's like, uh, wild guess, it wasn't strong enough. And Dick's like, it wasn't strong enough. I shut it off too soon. Rachel's like, well, what about Connor? So he's lying on the floor. There's blood on his head. His eyes are open. So is he dead? I, I don't think so. Sebastian floats down. He So then you get a closer look at his mask, which is like, where did he get that from? And it turns out the horn is still there. He picks it up. He raises it. It starts blowing into it. And then, uh, then they, they can hear an RV. Then the sky like opens up. This black energy comes crashing down. Corey's like, there's only one way to end this. My way. And then they head inside to go inside the temple. Okay. I forget. I, I, mean, I keep forgetting how many more episodes there are. But so here's the thing. I, I'm enjoying a lot, a lot of different things. You know, there, there's some, some good aspects of the season and all this. My big problem is the fact that it's it's all revolved around brother blood and mother mayhem. <sighs> I, I don't know. Um, and just and and that's the same thing, you know. At least it's not scare. I couldn't stand Scarecrow last season, but I'm just. It's just so weird that when they do these shows, the fact that they they just have this long running thing. It's like one villain. It's like why why does it have to? Okay, you got like twelve episodes. Why does got to be twelve episodes of someone? You know, or sixteen episodes, whatever. Why can't you do like four episodes of this, three episodes of this, and you know, just show us like comic book format where they fight multiple people, different people, and it's not just one thing throughout. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like a big story or big movie, but I it just if it's if it's not something you care about, like. You know, if it was like Deathstroke for you know that might get a little old, but you know something cool, Mother Mayhem and Brother Blood, I don't personally care. Maybe other people, you know, Titans fans do. I don't know, but um, and the fact that Sebastian is like kind of a wiener, I don't know. But I, I'm enjoying the show, even though it sounds like I'm complaining. All right, now we're going to talk about a new show on Prime called Citadel, and uh, <laughs> this is how bad it is. I hadn't heard anything about this i didn't even know it was out and then it's like oh i see people like talking about it. like two episodes out i'm like of course two episodes are out uh i think it's only a six episode show i don't know if there, there's more um it it stars uh richard madden who he was in game of thrones he was in um rocket man and he was also i'm like he looks so familiar he was icarus in e eternals so you know you've probably seen him and then there's uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who, like, what has she been in? Um, I don't know. 
she was in Baywatch, which I, I don't wouldn't know her from that. Um, she was Sati in the Matrix uh, Revolutions, whatever. And I just know she's married to uh, Nick Jonas, I think. So I yeah I don't know whatever whatever she, she's but she's been in other stuff I think, but I'm not not overly familiar with her. And also Stanley Tucci's in it, and and you know other people obviously. So it's um. It's it's basically it's like a, a spy show. Let me see what's actually what's the official synopsis. Um, global sp- spy agency Citadel has fallen, and its agents' memories were wiped clean. Now the powerful syndicate Manticore is rising in the void. Can the Citadel agents re- recollect their past and summon the strength to fight back? So um, it's kind of an interesting take. So we're going to talk about the first two episodes because they dropped and I, I think episodes I don't know if they come out on Fridays maybe so it's probably going to be like we're we're like a week behind because uh, yeah that's just how it's going to go so the first episode The Human Enigma starts off in Italian Alps it almost looks like a futuristic train I'm not really sure like the time if it's if it's in modern time maybe it's just a, a little ahead I don't know this woman uh, Nadia which is Priyanka Chopra Joan, Joan, Jonas, um, she like bumps into some guy. Somehow she grabbed his wallet, which I mean, that's like crazy because I was like, watch carefully when as soon as she bumped him, he's like, did she pickpocket him? She did. I don't know how, I, whatever. So she sits down in the, in the car, like with the same car that he's in. And she's talking to some dude over to comm. She's talking, his name's Bernard, which is Stanley Tucci. So he tells her that their intel says that the dude is carrying highly enriched uranium in his case. He has this like this briefcase and he's ready to sell it to the highest bidder. So in her purse, she's got some stuff like the perfume is supposed to be an explosive. And she's like, what about the lipstick? And Bernard's like, that's just lipstick. Uh, Bernard's like, nothing more dangerous to a pervy old man than red, red lips. Then this other dude, Mason Kane, which is uh, the other guy here, he asks if the seat by her is taken. And he's like flicking a lighter, like that's supposed to make him super cool or something like that. And then he, you know, he's speaking in Italian. And then in, in English, he's, he says that he got kicked out of first class because they wouldn't let him smoke. And but then he says, you know, he she's like, well, it's a non-smoking train or something like that. He's like, well, I don't smoke. I just don't like being told that I can't. So she's like, well, the seat's taken. I'm waiting for a friend. He's like, well, I'll keep you company until he arrives. Then she starts talking Mandarin, asking what's he doing here. And, you know, because she, she asked for someone else. He said Grace needed the best on this. And then and then she switches to German and she repeats that she asked, you know, she's like, what are you doing here? He says that they were a team. In Spanish, she says they were a team. And, and then she's like, what's with the wedding ring? He's like, oh, it's part of my cover. It's like, maybe it's just an old habit. So it's like, were these two together? Were they married? Then she says that she thought his old habit was lying. And he's like, I thought yours was just leaving. So they're both spies. There's some history between them. The lights kind of go dim, and then the dude with the case gets up. So Mason goes to follow, but Nadia pulls him down, and then she like kisses him. And this other dude in a tan suit is like watching. She's like, don't flatter yourself. It's like, he's got backup. You would have blown our cover. And he's like, uh-huh. Then they argue over, like, you know, who's going to pursue, who's going to flank. She's like, well, it's my mission, so you flank. Then she gets up, and a tan suit guy follows her. Mason follows him. So uh, Mason like, calls out to him. He, they start fighting. They end up in this – it's a pretty big single bathroom. And then tan suit tries shooting him, but then, he, you know, he shoots several times. But Mason's, like, holding his, his you know, by the wrist with the gun, like, deflects it. Mason disarms him. You know, he takes the gun out. 
uh, he takes out his own gun, but it gets knocked out of his hand. And then, um, then he's, he's like taking, shoving Tansu's head in the toilet. Nadia, I mean, while I was following the case guy, they go to like the food car. Then she decides to put on some of the lipstick, of course. The fight in the bathrooms continues. Nadia goes up to the, the dude and she's like, Gregor, blah, blah, something, whatever. And he like looks at her. She hands him his wallet. She's like, I think he dropped it in a passenger car. She says that, you know, she's like, I don't know if it's too forward, but do you mind if I join you? And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. So she says her name is Charlotte. And, and he's like, oh, I, she, I think she says something uh, about his eyes. Or she's like, oh, you know, whatever. She kind of, so she's kind of flirting and embarrassed, like whatever, acting like she's embarrassed. And he's like, well, I love your lipstick, of course. Tansu, dude, is like he keeps reaching for his glasses. And when he finally gets them, they kind of have like blades in the stem. So he's like holding them, trying to stab them. There's more fighting going on. So, you know, after, you know, she she mentions his eyes and like that, and they're laughing. Then he's like, oh, is that your foot? And she's like, no, Gregor, it's a 22 aimed at your nuts. Now, if you're careless enough to lose your wallet, you sure can't be trusted with all, the, all that uranium on a crowded train. He's like, what are you, CIA, MI6? And she, she asks if she looks like a woman who plays for the minor leagues. And he realizes, he's like, you're Citadel. He's like, I thought Citadel was a myth. Why, you know, why would she kind of like hint at that? She could have been like, yeah, I'm, I'm CIA. You know, what's the matter? I don't know. Maybe there's some reason. The <laughs> fight in the bathroom continues. Nadia asks for the bag, and Gregor takes off his glasses. And he's like, Nadia. He's like, that's your real name. And so he's like, there is no uranium. We fed false information to your people to lure you here so I can hand deliver a message. And then she like pulls a gun out from under under the table, like on top. And he brings up the case and opens it. So in the bathroom, they're still fighting. Mason takes like some broken mirror and he like slices a tan suit like hand because he's like got, got he's like grabbed him around the throat and then he like stabs his leg and he like kicks a piece of like a glass in like further and he like smashes his head against the window and it breaks and he kicks him out through it so he's he's gone out of the train gregor takes out like a tablet there's a, a video playing of a, a guy that she knows getting like beat down and killed he's like oh he has a nice place a nice home doesn't he and then it goes to another and another and another like everyone's getting killed like so they're all like citadel agents he's like hundreds and hundreds more so he goes on about the thing that the thing about myths is there all lies and fallacies or something like that? And she asks, she's like, who the fudge are you? And he shows her, her his wrist, and he has, like, some, there's, like, some scar in there. It's almost like a, like a burn design, like some symbol. It was like, I was like, like, it's almost like a sun or something like that. He's like, the truth is everywhere. So he's probably Manicourt, right? Because that's what the description says. And then people around them start getting shot by, like, the wait staff and, like, other passengers or whatever. So they go to take Nadia's gun, and Gregor says that, he thinks that she's outgunned, and, and he's like, long ago, you all convinced yourself of a lie that you and Citadel are not agents but angels. We waited a long time to wipe Citadel from the face of the earth. And he's like, seeing that look in your eye, it was worth the wait. Mason then comes in, starts shooting. Nadia takes Gregor's gun, shoots him, so he's done, <laughs> and then starts shooting at the others. So he, Mason's like, how many are there? She's like, six. And, but it seems like they took out more. I didn't, didn't count. Then Nadia ends up getting shot in the leg, and she tells Mason that they were set up. She's not sure um, you know, who they are, but they're burning Citadel to the ground. Then she says that she has to tell him something. Um, he says that he lied to her, and she says that she lied to him or something like that. 
So Bernard is like starts talking over to Com. Mason says that they need evac, but you know there's no response. Then they hear Gregor coughing. He sits slumped and he's like, "Manticore will always find you." He pulls a pin out of this like some device. It's like a bomb, and then it goes off. Mason tries like shield her. The train car comes like unattached, falls off a bridge. Then we see Mason floating in the water, and then he he's in Bilago, Italy. And then later he wakes up, he's in a hospital bed, but he's like strapped to the bed and he starts yelling for help. And then he like fades to black, he passes up. So his doctor's talking to him later, says that he attacked their best surgeon, broke his arm. So that's probably why he was like strapped into the hospital bed. Mason asks what happened and the doc says there was an explosion in the passenger train. He washed ashore in Lozano or whatever. He claims he doesn't remember being shot on a train, you know, then the doc's like, do you remember your name? He's like, yeah, I do. but he, apparently he doesn't. The doc's like, you're suffering from retrograde amnesia, which affects your memories. He's like, do you know a man named Kyle Conroy? And, and Mason's like, no, who's that? He's like, you. He shows him a passport, which was in his pocket. He also gives him a wedding ring. The American consulate can't find any relatives or records of him. It's like he's a ghost. Then it cuts to eight years later. And it's like, What? Eugene, Oregon. So Kyle now has a wife, Abby, and a daughter, Hendrix. So Mason, he was a spy, lost his memories. Eight years later, he's living a normal life in, in Oregon. So uh, like the news mentions like 97 dead and this like Los Angeles terror bombing. The government's getting ready for war. And, and then they'd say like this is a 10th such attack or something like that. So Kyle mason gets a like flashes a nadia's face and a train derailing but you know he doesn't know what's going on kyle then goes to therapy because uh, apparently he went there before and stopped and the therapist's like why why was that and kyle i'm just just calling kyle now kyle said he, he was afraid of what he'd find because no one came looking for him after the accident so you can only imagine how horrible he must have been to not have one single person come looking so he's there now because he feels like he's keeping secrets from himself and he needs to know. And when his daughter asks him, you know, what was his mom like? Um, did he have a dad or a dog or did he make wishes? He has nothing to give her and she deserves to know. He deserves to know. So when they pulled him from the water and, you know, the, the wedding ring these past months, he's he's been having visions of a woman. He thinks that she was on a train with him. He knows you know, he knows that she was. If he can find out who she was, maybe he can find out who he was. The therapist says that, you know, as much as he'd love to see him and bill him weekly and make a small fortune, the best thing would be to just swab his DNA and run it through one of the national databases, see if they can find any relative or information. Kyle says that he did that before, nothing came up. The doc's like, well, the technology has gotten more advanced since then. Then in Virginia, USA, <laughs> this lady, Ambassador Dahlia Archer, she called the U.S. secretary to come see her. And she's like, eight years ago when Citadel fell, it buried its trove of secrets in a tungsten fortified case. Secrets that may have included black site locations, agent identities, even nuclear codes. And I just learned that your CIA recently discovered the whereabouts of this Citadel X case. The secretary says that, the UK ambassador's asking the Secretary of State to divulge national security secrets? She's like, I'm not asking in my capacity as ambassador. No, no, this is this is for a different cause, a greater cause, the truth. He says he doesn't work for Manicor anymore, so apparently she does or did. She says that they've helped him before, now they're calling in their favor. 
So what'll it be? Should they plant explosives in her daughter's British Airways flight tomorrow as she flies home from Oxford? Or shall they abduct his wife and bury her alive in the rose in the, the, the ambassador's rose garden? It's like, you tell me. Then in Zurich, there's several dead and like white dead in this room. This ambassador calls this dude Davik, who who killed everyone. Apparently it was a wedding. And she says that she has another job for him. The case has been found, and it's in a CAA uh, block site in Miami. So she wants him to go and retrieve it. His brother Anders is also like on a job with him, and he seems like a little sadistic. He's like like really like brutally doing something to like a dead body or whatever, like just hacking away, cutting. In Chicago, Bernard has several dudes um, like bound and gagged, like sitting in a circle they're apparently like manicore agents something like that he, he finds this old guessing game and he says that they're going to play he's like does your secret someone have blonde hair and the first guy uh asks him a question and if he guesses in he guesses incorrectly or something like that he gets shot in the head he asks the next guy if his secret is why his manticore pal dahlia archer had a meeting um with the secretary at her home and you know, so this is like the last dude, uh, apparently, because he killed the other one. So they, they cut to that. He says that she wanted the location of Citadel's X case. And Bernard's like, why? And the dude's like, nuclear codes. Then his phone beeps, secure message received. DNA match confirmed. Mason Kane, tier one agent. Bernard's like, oh, my God. Then he just like shoots the dude. So Mason slash Kyle, he looks at the scar on his shoulder in the bathroom where his wife knocks on the door whatever she's like what are you doing in there and then you know she mentions the daughter's asleep so she wants some wah, 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 some alone time they start smooching whatever then he he starts getting flashes of nadia <laughs> then hendrix calls him from the other rooms it's like i so much for being asleep so they go there she had another nightmare uh, some kids in school said that they were gonna get bombed and there was a war and then then like stupidly she's like did your dad tuck you in when you had bad dreams it's like i don't kid my my daughter never asked me if my dad ever tucked me in and I, I don't know if kids normally ask that. I don't know. And so then later, Kyle's lying in awake in bed. You know, his, Abby's sleeping. And he thinks about Nadia's face, thinks about the explosion. Uh, he goes to, the, like, his work shed or something like that. He opens his box, and it has his passport, has ring, the lighter. Then Abby calls him. She's like, there's someone in the house. He runs over. He, like, sprints over there. You see the window on the kitchen door is, like, busted open in the corner. And he yells, like, Abby, Abby, which I don't know if it'd be good to be calling out if there's someone in there. Wouldn't you want to try to sneak up on them? He runs to, like, the front porch, wham, gets smacked by or hit by something. And Bernard, like, knocked him out or hit him. Hendrix is there, too, with, with Abby. He's like, get in the car. And Abby's like, we're not who you think we are. And he says, like, all three of their names. And Kyle's says to him, he's like, take me. He's like, you don't need them. And Bernard's like, do you know who I am? He's like, no. He's like, do you know where we're going? No. Then how the fudge you know what I need? And he puts him in the back of like this SUV. And it's almost like it's a sealed compartment. And then the, the car says, cabin secure. And he's like, put them to sleep. And in the back, they, they get gassed in there. In Miami at the CIA black site, Davik and his brother are there. was like some other dudes. They open this container and the case is in there. So it was like that easy. It's like, it's kind of crazy. The ambassador does this interview uh, with like a reporter about like the threats and all the nice things they've done to protect and prevent wars. And then she's told afterwards, because things get a little, little awkward between, during the interview, but whatever. 
After she's told that the brothers have the case, it's heavily encrypted and they're headed to New York. Kyle and his wife are tied with hoods over their, their heads. Bernard apologizes, you know, they pull the hoods off. He apologizes for the theatrics. He says it's for their safety, it's for your safety and ours. Kyle's like, you know, who, who are you? And they're like, where's our daughter? Bernard gives him his name, says he's like this, he points this lady, he's like, this is my wife, Joe, which is Mo Moira Kelly. She's like ex-wife. And then Joe, she's like, this is my wife, Sandra. And Bernard says that uh, their daughter, so Hendrix is downstairs and safe with their daughter, Val. And Kyle's like, I swear to God, if you lay a finger on her, he's like, lay a finger on her? He's like, I brought you here to, to keep you safe. He says that they're lucky that he found him before Manticore could. He says Kyle's been looking into what happened to him eight years ago. They're here to help him. Kyle's like, why should I believe anything you'd say? Bernard's like, because believe it or not, we're old friends. He shows him a picture of them together on his phone. He's like, good to see you, Mason. He's like, Mason? He's like, ready to find out who you really are? He watches this video with like Bernard, uh, you know, with Bernard and Mason. And he's like, you're telling me I was a spy? And he's like, why do you think there's no trace of you? He's like, because there's no Kyle Conroy. It's an alias. And Bernard's like, it's one of the many I came up you know, with you. He asks about his scars. He's like, are, are they bullet wounds, knife wounds? Um, then he's like, machete wounds, shrapnel wounds, oyster shucker wounds. He's like, the list is endless. Mason's like, what, were we CIA, special forces? And Bernard's like, nope. He's like, what you were was a myth. What you were was Citadel. For as long as they've been around, spy agencies have started wars, assassinated world leaders, killed innocents. So a century ago, a group of spies and friends recruited individuals from around the world to create a spy organization loyal to no man and to no nation, loyal only to the safety and security of all people. You wouldn't know we existed, but we helped shape every major event for good for the past 200 or for the past 100 years. And there's like, you know, some flashes on the screen, different like newspaper articles, like Y2K averted, hostages freed. And he's like, Kyle's like, we were the good guys. And Bernard's like, mm hmm. He's like, the last line of defense for the good in the world. But then eight years ago, we were double crossed by one of our own, an unknown agent who took a list of all Citadel spies and transferred it into the wrong hands. And Kyle's like, they tried to kill me on that train. Bernard says that he's been searching for eight years for survivors. He says that he thought only one Citadel spy had survived. Luckily, the Citadel's spy was head and shoulder above the rest. And he's like, the, the agency's tech genius, destined to carry to, the world on his back like Atlas. Kyle's like, please don't tell me. He's like, his name? And Kyle's like, is it you? And he spins his chair like dramatically. And Kyle's like, Jesus Christ. And Bernard's like, no, Bernard Orlick because his name's not Jesus. He shows them that they're uh, up against Manticore. They emerged eight years ago with the assault on Citadel when they murdered thousands of Citadel spies. It was founded by eight of the wealthiest families from around the world. They built their own spy network to manipulate world events and amass wealth and power. With Citadel slaughtered and with Bernard's tech, they wrecked havoc. Oil crisis, grid failures, catastrophic wars. He's, and then Kyle's like, you didn't bring us here to keep us safe. And Bernard's like, I brought you here because I very much need your help, Mason's help. He's like, early this morning, Citadel X's case containing all our secrets was stolen by two Manticore agents, the kind of secrets that can murder millions of people or hold entire nations hostages. 
He's like, now those two agents are on their way to New York to tear open that case. And if they succeed, Manticore will have, among other things, all the codes to every nuclear weapon in the world. So I need you to come to New York with me and get that case before Manticore can open it. I need Mason Kane. And Kyle's like, well, I'm not him. I coach Little League. He's like, I think you'll find that there's a lot more of him than you realize. Bernard flings a knife at like Adam, like towards his face, and Kyle catches it like inches from his eye, like automatically. He's like, What the fudge is wrong with you? And Bernard's like, There's my guy. He's like, Your mind might not remember, but your body does. I mean, you are our top spy after all. He's like, I was a top, I was a top spy. And Bernard's like, Well, not the top spy. You know, you did have a a partner. I mean, alone, you two were you were, you know, you were amazing, but together you were hot stuff. And Kyle's like, what was her name? He pauses and he calls her up on the screen. Her name was Nadia Sin. Uh, he's like, you help me get that case. I'll help you remember who you were and who she was. And he's like, who she was? Uh, Bernard's like, Nadia sent the mayday, mayday call uh, the day Citadel fell. And after that, she went dark. He's like, I think she's dead. If Manicor gets those codes... I promise you, they will not hesitate to kill you, to kill Abby, and to kill Hendrix. Do you want to save your family? Then come with me. Then it cuts to eight years earlier. Train wreckage and flame in the water. And then <gasps> Nadia comes out with a big gasp. So Nadia's alive. Of course she's alive. That's the end of the first episode. Second episode, Spies Together in nighttime it starts off in italy eight years ago nadia crawls out of the water there's flaming wreckage behind her she's in pain because you know she got shot in the leg her passport was like strapped to her other leg she ties like a tourniquet around her her bleeding leg she tries calling about the ambush she hobbles down this road and like in the woods this car pulls over this truck and the guy the dude gets out and she like passes out in his arms then nadia wakes up and discovers that she's handcuffed to a bed. There's like bloody gauze on a nightstand. She's dressed in like a t-shirt and boxers. There's a dude with a like a shotgun or pistol, or not a pistol, uh, like a rifle, uh, watching over her from a chair. And he says that she had a, a bullet in her. And she says that, she's like, yeah, I should probably get to a hospital. He's like, no, you know, no need. He can take care of her as long as necessary. She says that, you know, she's not asking him to, to take care of her. And then, then she throws, like, a glass at him. He, like, shoots. She jumps off the bed. She kind of kicks the bed, you know, kicks against the dresser to kind of, you know, push the bed towards him and, like, knocks him over a little bit. She grabs the barrel as he tries shooting again. She kicks him in the crotch. Or, no, she I, I think she headbutt him at some point. She kicks him in the crotch, then um, pins him against the wall. She disarms the shotgun. Uh, but his shot must have, like, hit her handcuffs her like that because she's no longer you know handcuffed to the bed she's still got her on her wrist he grabs her and, and you know she tries like clawing at his face and that he like digs his thumb into her bullet you know wound and she like screams he like, punches her hard and she twists around he's just like laughing now and she grabs something and then he like grabs her lifts her by the throat she stabs him with this like object like some art of I don't know, it's like some horn or whatever so she stabs him with it like a few times like whoosh, 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 and then like impales his arm and moves to, she moves the door, but he gets up, he grabs her, and then she pushes like down on his wound, like like with her foot, and like it's causing blood to spurt out, and then he like passes out, probably from I guess loss of blood. 
so this red light goes off and, and like you see like under her skin there's like some flashing light like under there and then an automated voice says backstop commencing deleting memories she looks around and she moves she's like finds a pen she like writes in her arm go to valencia and she passes out so she wakes up confused and and she's surprised to see like bloody bandages on her leg and then she sees go to valencia uh asha or something like that like written on her her arm and she sees a dead dude on the floor she finds keys and a passport and the passport says charlotte vernon so that must be her name right Wyoming, eight years later, Abby finds out Kyle, this is the present, she finds out Kyle is or was a spy. He's like, you can't even remember to put the toilet seat down, and now you're Jason Bourne? Kyle's like, he has a recording of me as another person. And she's like, Kyle, that could be some kind of deep fakes or Photoshop. He's like, you don't know that's real. He's like, it makes sense, Abby. He's like, look at my scars. He's like, look at why no one came looking for me after the accident. Bernard says this to Joe, his ex, He's like, I think we should tell him. And Joe's like, they're not. Or he's like, we're not telling him. He interjects, but she's like, we're not telling them unless he wants her to tell them what he did. Unless he wants her to tell them what he did. Something like that. Abby <laughs> asks Kyle, like, you know, now what? Is he going to leave them there while he goes off with them? He says that if he gets a case back, he gets to keep her and Hendrick safe. And that's all that he cares about. Bernard comes, Bernard comes in and says it's time, so he, they say their goodbyes. In New York City, Bernard mentions there's a secret manicure, like tech lab on a top floor of this tower, um, and the case is in her lab. So it's like, you got great intel that you're, you knew all that. The good news is that he is a genius, and he hacked into their server, so Kyle's biometrics are under an alias baked into their backdoor security system. So it's like, it's just so easy. He, he gives them something to wear and tells them to lose the wedding ring. Kyle says that if this is... You know, this is the moment that he's going to raise his hand and says he needs more clarity in the plan. Bernard's like, you don't need to know the plan. He's like, how do I not need to know the plan? Bernard's like, I'll guide you. So he goes in, uh, you know, he gets like scanned and then tells him, Bernard tells him to head up to the second level. And he's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And Bernard tells him that he's like, well, now you're being followed. So he tells him, he, then he's like, okay, turn, he tells him, turn left, go this way, duck behind his column. The dude following kind of like passes him. Then he, he tells uh, Kyle to go into this one room or whatever right there. So Bernard is, uh, meanwhile, being asked to move his van, but he's, like, still trying to direct Kyle. So he tells Kyle, he's like, behind you, um, so that there's a guy coming at him. He's Because uh, Bernard's looking through all the cameras. So he's going to want to get his gun, so he knocks the gun out, uh, but he gets his head slammed. This alarm goes off, and the brothers are somewhere else, so they know it must be something about the case. So Davik and I forgot his brother's name. Bernard tells Kyle to give the guy one solid hit to Adam's apple. So he does it. Then he grabs a case and he runs. Then he switches to kind of like a casual walk and he starts going down the stairs. And then uh, Davik sees him and he mutters, he's like, that's impossible. Kyle makes it outside to the van. They, they take off. In Virginia, Ambassador uh, Archer, Dahlia, whatever, she's watching the news. A car bomb kills 175 in Serbia. Her phone rings. Davik says that something happened and uh, the briefcase was stolen and she gets angry. He's like, well, we're tracking it now. And she says, you know, to make it clear, 
she's a broker for families who run Manicor. So when something goes wrong, like something like, you know, someone's stealing the X case that they've been looking for for eight fudging years, everybody puts a bounty on my head. She's like, if I don't fix it. So how did the CIA manage to pry it from your fudging hands? And he's like, it wasn't a CIA. What do you mean? It was Mason Kane. She's like, he's dead. Davik's like, I saw him. He's alive. And she's like speechless. Then she's like, bring me the case and Kane. And she hangs up. In the van, Kyle wonders how he did that. Bernard's like, because you're Mason Kane. And he tells him, you know, put his wrist over this like sensor in the case. It identifies him and unlocks the case. There's a computer inside and it shows that, you know, his name is being online. Bernard tells him to ask it to search for active agents. So the X case can locate any Citadel agents who might still be alive. During Citadel's collapse, he ordered his uh, protege, uh, Carter Spence, to take the case underground. Finding it now proves that he didn't die in vain and they could use this to take down Manicor. Meanwhile, the brothers are in pursuit. Kyle mentions uh, it's a long drive back to Wyoming to figure out what they can do with the case. Bernard's like, uh, we can't go back to Wyoming. And Kyle's like, why not? And Bernard's like, because the minute you went into that building and showed your face, they knew you were alive. And right now, every Manicor agent around the world is looking for you. He says they're going to follow him to Wyoming. They're going to you know, get him and his wife and daughter. He's like, so that's why they're not going back. He's like, you didn't tell me this would happen. And Bernard's like, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't mention it. He's like, what the fudge? You told me I had to trust you. And Bernard's like, why would you trust me? He's like, I gassed your family in a fudging car. Then he says that the case is just the beginning. Manicor is uh, planning something big and, and some sort of like end game. And so Kyle's like, so the only way I get to see my family again is if we stop them. And Bernard's like, precisely. And Kyle's like, we're two guys in a van with a briefcase. We're the plot of Dumb and Dumber. He's like, what's your big plan? And Bernard's like, I don't know. He says that he doesn't know, but Mason will. And Kyle's like, I'm not Mason. He's like, no, not yet. He's like, stored in that case are your memories. He's like, and he's like, what? He's like, every Citadel spy has a chip placed in their temporal lobe. That chip unloads your memories to a Citadel server. If we can no longer trace you, we backstop you. And he's like, you erase our memories? He says that there's a, a vial with his name on it that can give him his memory backs, but be careful with it because it's the only one. Meanwhile, the brothers have spotted the band. They're getting, like, one one has, like, a rifle is, like, getting ready to lean out the window and shoot. So this vial has this giant needle. Bernard tells him to press into his neck, and the fluids uh, will run into his bloodstream. He's like, do you trust me? And he's like, absolutely not. And then he's like, do it. And then phew, Bernard gets like shot in the back and then the van like swerves. They hit, they like kind of turn sideways, hit the, like the concrete middle divider and then the, the van stops. So it's like, is Bernard dead? Kyle tries checking him, but then the brothers get out and start shooting some more. Kyle gets out with the case. He's like running. Uh, he runs to the, the, the back of the, of the van and he tries shooting at them with, with his pistol. Then he runs to the other side of, of traffic and he hops over to the divider he goes to this car. This dude like jumped out of the car because of the shooting. So he, he jumps into this car because the keys are still in there. He starts driving. The cops pull up behind the. The cops pull up behind the the brothers, and they turn and start shooting at at him. Then Davik checks the van and he sees Bernard in there, and I think he recognized him, so he probably knew that you know he was another infamous Citadel agent. So then in a little bit, Kyle pulls over, looks in the case, 
his vial broke and there's like liquid dripping out. So his memories are gone because that's the only one, which is like crazy. He lets out a couple, a couple angry like fudge, fudge. Then a computer starts beeping. Nadia's location pops up. So Kyle leaves a message for Abby, says that he's on a plane headed to Valencia. He knows that that wasn't part of the plan, but they're coming for him. He can't come back or they'll find her too. You know, the only person who can help him is in Spain. In Valencia, Spain, he, he, he arrives there. There's like fireworks going off. There's like the Fallas Festival or something like that. He goes to this restaurant and he like bumps into her and he gets some like flashes and he's like, you're Nadia. And she's like, uh, you have the wrong person? He's like, no, I don't. And she's like, senor, you have a good night. She walks away and he's like, eight years ago, Italy. And she stops. He's like, do you remember what happened? And then she's like, not here. So they go in the kitchen and she says, I just woke up there and he was already dead it had to have been self-defense he's like what are you talking about she's like i didn't kill him he he, he was dead and kyle's like i'm not i'm not the police and nadia's or charlotte she's like then who the fudge are you he's like mason kane top spy hot stuff she like starts kind of walking back because she's like okay you're crazy and he's like bernard orlick manticore the x case any of that ring a bell and she's like, you really need to get out of my way, buddy. He's like, they wiped your memories. He's like, I was on a train eight years ago in Italy. There was an explosion. I was pulled from the water. It's like, I couldn't remember who I was or how I got there. It's like, you were on that train with me. And she's like, no. He's like, you were a spy like me for an organization called Citadel. And she's like, I don't know what you're on, but I'm going to walk past you. And if you touch me, I'll scream. He's like, catch. He flings a knife at her, like how Bernard did, but she like barely dodges it and you know, it goes past her and she just like, stares at him like he's crazy. She's like, Did you just throw a knife at me? He whispers, he's like, I thought you were gonna catch it. He's like, See, Bernard did that to me, and I I thought you were gonna catch it. She picks up another knife and she's like, Hold it out, like she's ready to thrust down on him, like like Michael Myers. And he's like, I was gonna be like, then why can you do that? She tells him, she's like, back up. And she's like, back up. But he's like still standing there. And then he manages to touch like the briefcase or wrist and it pings. It says her name, it says Nadia's name. He's like, tier one, operator identified. The case opens. He opens it slowly and there's a picture of her on the, on the screen. So then in the restaurant, Davik walks up and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, pew, pew, shoots in the, in the, up at the roof. He's like, get the fudge out of here now. And he tells the goon, he's like, go find Kane. Kyle tells her that there's a the vial with her name on it. If she injects into her neck, it'll bring back her memories, and she'll remember everything. She grabs it and, and looks at it. He asks if she ever feels like she should be someplace else doing something else. Has she ever seen his face before? Because he had been seeing her face for months. So she gets some flashes, and then pew, the lackey dude um, says that that was just a warning shot. He's like, put the case down. Kyle's like, says that he, he's like, I am, I am. Charlotte slash Nadia smacks him on the back with the, the, the dude on the back of the head with, with a, like an iron skillet. And then it, it doesn't knock him down completely. Then she like hits him a second time. And she's like, I have seen you before in a dream. They start to walk out and Davik like punches him. You know, he was like waiting, hiding, whatever, around the corner. He, uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Char Kyle, <laughs> I had too many names. Kyle goes goes down. He tosses Charlotte, and, and he recognizes like Nadia. He shoots Kyle in the arm and tells him to like stay down. He punches Charlotte, 
And then he goes to Kyle. He's like, look at me. Remember my brother? So I don't know if something happened to him. And he's like, he says hello. I don't know why his brother's not there. Then he pushes like into the bullet wound, like to make him scream. Nadia's lying on the floor. She grabs a, a nearby knife and she jabs it into his back. And she's like, sorry. He like elbows her and he's he says, he's like, him, I need you know, he, him, I need alive. You, not so much. So then he like punches her and he's like, Why aren't you fighting back? He's like, been too long, huh? Kyle grabs a case and hits Davik in the back of the head with it. Doesn't do much. He's like, you're here for me, a-hole. And Davik punches him like over and over and like starts hitting him. And then the, the vial happens to be right by Nadia. So she stands up with it in her hand. and But then it's like, wait, did she take it? Because she's just holding it now. She goes up and she hits Davik. And she's like, you dumb bitch. <laughs> He's like, you're going to wish I was dead. He swings and she like deflects a couple hits, whatever. Then twists his arm, headbutts him. Oh yeah, that's where here's where the headbutt came in. She headbutts him, then knees him to the groin, f- flings him into his cabinet, and it, like, kicks him in the face. And and he's out. So she helps Kyle up, tells him to, to put pressure on it, and you know she looks at him. It's like, did you do it? And he's like, yeah, I thought Mason was dead. He's like, you remember? I remember everything. It's like the last memory set. That you know, she, she says was Mason can never find out. So she steps away from him. She takes Davik's gun and says they gotta go. Um, then later, Archer's talking to Davik. She's like, "Do you have him?" He's like, "I need more time." And he's he wasn't alone. And she's like, "Who is he with?" He had Nadia Sin. And she's like, "How is that possible? What the fudge is going on here?" He's like, "You and your dip spit of a brother was in charge of." scouring Orlex tech for any sign of survivors. Davis like, yeah, we we did. We didn't find anything. She's like, well, lucky for you, a gift just arrived. So she's like, I want Kane by nightfall. And she just like hangs up. Then she goes in the other room, like dining room or something like that. And she starts talking. And then uh, it turned out Bernard is like, they're sitting there, duct tape, whatever. And she's like, basically alludes that they can torture like all sorts of information out of them. And that's the end of the second episode. So, when they're talking about a spy, because, you know, who betrayed them? At first, I'm, part of me is like, did Bernard betray them? But, you know, he's working He's working with his ex-wife. So it wouldn't make sense that they're both, like, the spy. But it's it just seems like it'd be easy to, to think that it was, was him. Because, you know, he's the only one helping them, but maybe he's a spy. Part of me is then like, well, maybe it's Nadia. And and it, but that doesn't make sense because you know she was lost her memories or anything and and now she would know she would know she was it could be maybe Mason was a spy and and that that's where things could get kind of tricky where you know Mason doesn't have his memories back because his vial broke but what what would he do you know he's trying to help and do the right thing but what if he finds out that he was really a bad guy and he like betrayed them could he still you know move forward work with the good guys or would anyone trust him because he's got amnesia so i think that could i wouldn't i don't want that to happen but that would be an interesting twist if he was the traitor but now he doesn't remember being the traitor because his vial was, was destroyed and suppose it's the only one i just think it's crazy that there's only one so we'll have to see what what happens after that. But it, it was a decent show. Uh, the, the Russo brothers were involved. It's like I totally forgot about this. And uh, I, I, it's it's not like the best thing ever, you know. But there, there's a lot of potential here, you know. So it it could be cool. 
So I'm, I'm really curious to see where this is going to go. All right, and now the movie main movie feature, main movie the only movie feature, main feature, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. So here we go. Um, what I realize, I really should watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two because I I feel like I've only watched it once, maybe twice. I don't know if I ever watched it at home, and I think I only watched it once in a the theater. Um, if you see the, I, I guess I should say I I really 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 like this movie, uh, which I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Um, I, I like the Guardians, you know, I really like the first movie, but then something I, with the second one, I feel like, I don't know, something was just off when I saw it. And then, you know, I, I've, it's no secret. I, I'm a, a little, uh, little, little Chris Pratt overload, you know, he's like voicing everything. And I, I just, I, I'm not super, I'm not his biggest fan. You know, he, he does a good Star Lord. But then the other thing to kind of make it worse is, you know, the Chris Pratt that, or the Star, the, not the Chris Pratt, the Star Lord that we've had lately, you know, he's all sad and mopey because, you know, he was so in love with Gamora, but then because of, you know, Endgame, Infinity War, or whatever, his Gamora is gone. And he's still sad and mopey, which, again, I, you can't blame the guy. You're in love with someone, you know, you don't just turn that off. So, I get that, but it's just like he's, you know, just drinking and he's just sad. He's not fun, Star Lord, even. So we we have all that. And looking at some of the other characters, you know, I do like the characters, but sometimes like Drax and Mantis can be a little little too much, you know, with with the 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 bumbling humor that they 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 try. Groot, I'm just I'm I'm kind of over Groot. I mean, I was all. 100% Groot, like, oh, he's so cute, or this, or whatever. But then it, it just seems like, I don't know. And, and now I, I don't, I'm still, while I, Groot does a lot of cool, a lot of cool things in this, this movie, I don't know if I necessarily like his, his build, his, his like muscle boy Groot just seems kind of weird. Cause at, at least, you know, I'm used to him being like taller and skinnier, but whatever, you know, at least we get different versions to mix things up. And then uh, Rocket Raccoon, He's, I always found him to be a little too snarky, a little too, you know, like, like, oh, he's trying to steal everything because he wants to build stuff. And it's almost like he's just got kind of this attitude and chip on his shoulder. And it's just, it's supposed to be cute and funny, but I, I feel like some, it's just, it's almost borderline obnoxious sometimes. That being said, is that everyone? Oh, so it's like of all the guardians, and it is starting to get to be like, who's my, my favorite guardian? Because, you know, Gamora is not even a guardian anymore. She's, she's a ravager. So it's like, wait, so is my favorite guardian Nebula? Is that possible? But even Nebula, you know, she's got her issues, you know, because she's kind of angry all the time and, you know, just dealing with everything. And, you know, she had a horrible past, obviously, with Thanos and everything. So it's just weird that this is like this is the team. And it's like I'm supposed to be excited about them. But there, there is a lot of heart. There's a lot of fam. You know, you look at these misfits, these a-holes or whatever they call themselves. And they do care about each other. You know, they, they are a team. They are a family. And, you know, you, you get a lot of that in this movie. A big, you know, portion of this is dealing with Rocket Raccoon. And this is one of the things that James Gunn really wanted to do. He wanted to fully tell the story of Rocket, you know, his origin and his past. We got a glimpse of it. I'm pretty almost positive we saw like a little flashback of something, right? Am I totally wrong? I don't know when that would have been because I don't think it was in the first movie. I feel like I've just saw it recently, but I haven't seen anything recently. So we, we get the whole story here and you know, we have the high evolutionary here who's played by Chuck Woody 
Iwuji, I think that's how you say it. And he's he's great. You know, he was in uh, Peacemaker, and um, it's just you just see this uh, high evolutionary. I am not a high evolutionary fan, but he's just really like over the top and or just with what he's trying to do and you know creating his counter earth and like the perfect species and whatever all this like that we also get warlock um in here and at first i'm just like i don't really like warlock but then you can kind of appreciate what he does and you know is able to do and everything like that but the the movie is like starts off with baby rocket you know baby raccoon and um i gotta say man there, you know, we get a lot of animals here, CG. I'm assuming they're all CG, right? But there's like some stuff when you see them, like you know, being experimented on or in their cages or you know, before anything's done or what. I just, I got so emotional, and you know, and and just even think about like Rocket's story, it it's it's heartbreaking, and you know, there there's a reason that you know he doesn't talk about it, and I guess you know you can even say there's a reason why he's as angry as he is, and he's like such a jerk or whatever. I guess you could even say he's such a dick, um, and you know you you can't blame him for everything, and so. It, it's here's that you know i know rocket's supposed to be the cute fun you know oh he's a, just a little talking raccoon even though it's you know bradley cooper voices he's not a raccoon or whatever so we we, we get a lot of that and you just really it made me really appreciate who he is and uh there's just like some really really touching moments that was and i'm like like this, these are just cg animals but i i mean i love animals and you know i don't i do not like seeing any animal cruelty you know i'd rather if I had to choose, I'd rather see human cruelty over animal cruelty because the thing is, animals are so innocent. You know, they, they have they, they can't necessarily do much to defend themselves. You know, there's only so much. You know, they're, they're kind of helpless compared to humans. You know, you can you get what I'm saying, right? I, I think so. You know, there's a whole story about everything that happened, and it's it's just yeah, it's 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 very very sad and everything. Then you know we get more of Peter because then Gamora comes into the mix and you know he's trying to deal with with that and everything. And uh, we also have like the little story with Sean Gunn with his character and you know trying to live up to you know his potential and everything. And we get Cosmo in here, so there there's a a lot of a lot of like cool characters a lot of cool moments there's some some cool fight scenes you know towards the end there's this big big crazy fight you know you see everyone in action fighting and you know camera panning from one person's jumping and kicking and swinging and shooting and flying and everything so it's it's a really cool shot the way it all like works together and again maybe it's all cg who knows who cares it looks really cool and everything um i i, I love that part um, one thing that I wasn't super crazy, you know, so it, this is a the the mixed thing. I I, I either I kind of liked it and I didn't like it. Uh, the music, you know, music has always been a big part of these movies, and and I, I like that, you know, because James Gunn really appreciates the good songs and those the songs can really set the mood and and just really establish like what's going on and, and blah blah blah, you know, all this stuff. The problem is, you know, sometimes, you know, and there's there's some like really you know cool music choices that I that I loved, and you know some of the songs I really really you know dig, but sometimes it's, it's kind of like a distraction, and it almost because you know I, I I say the same thing when when you you see hear a popular song in a mu in a movie trailer, I feel like it's a gimmick, 
because you know you're trying to appeal like the people like like oh they really like this song they're gonna tap their foot they're gonna bop their head or whatever and they're gonna you know remember about the, the you know think about the movie other times that you know that may not be the case you know maybe it there's just a way maybe you know because like something in a way using nirvana in a batman trailer i feel like that is so wrong but i loved it because i love nirvana and i love batman so i thought it was really cool i don't i still don't know if it should have been used i think it's cool that it was there i i love it but part of me is like they shouldn't have done that so part of it you know there's there's different things here where i don't know you know, some parts were it worked out. They're really cool. But then sometimes I feel like that it was an overuse of songs. Because in the Marvel movies, you know, you everyone you might get a glimpse of you know something that is, is in our real world that may pop up there. But using all these songs, it's it's almost like it was a bit much, and it kind of felt like a little bit of a distraction. Didn't really feel gimmicky. You know, I don't know if I necessarily say that. I don't think they're doing it like oh, let's try to sell a movie soundtrack as well. It just sometimes it felt like, okay, does this scene really need this music? And I get maybe when, you know, James Gunn is writing or, you know, envisioning this, this might be the music that's going in his head. This is the soundtrack that's playing in his head as he's seeing this. Or maybe when he watches a footage, he's like, oh, this would be really cool here. That That's awesome. You know, again, it's his movie. I am not one to critique someone else's stuff. This is something, a side note that I, you know, I opened up my Facebook page like the next day, uh, you know, when the movie came out and I'm just seeing some people talking about the movie like, oh, this was good, but uh, there are some things that I kind of had problems with it. I just, I feel like when you get all these like armchair, what do they call armchair quarterbacks or whatever, with these people like critiquing movies and stuff like that. And I get that that's kind of what I'm doing now, but I almost feel like do we really have the right to do that? You know, I, I've always questioned like whether or not I'm a critic before. And I know I did that, you know, and when I was, you know, writing for, for GameSpot, I had a, a really big audience, you know, bigger than Comic Vine. Comic Vine, I had a big audience, but with, with GameSpot, it was even bigger. And, you know, it's it just, it was a bigger website, you know, more, it's been around longer and all that. But I still don't know if I, I, and I guess technically I was a, I don't I mean, was I a movie critic? Am I a movie critic now? I don't know if I consider myself one. And I, I almost don't feel like I have the right to. I never went to film school. Do Does a critic need to go to film school? I never went to journalism school. Do, does, do, does a film critic need to? It just, I feel like because, and, and this may not be the case, I, because I haven't like studied film and and whatever filmmaking and all this stuff, media, do I have the right to critique? Some? I've never made a, a full blown movie of any sort. Yeah, I've done little videos on my iPhone or a camcorder or whatever, but I almost feel like, do I have the right to say like, oh, this is they could have done this better, or whatever? It's like I can't say it because I couldn't do anything even close to being that cool. So it always kind of irks me when people, especially with the Marvel movies, I feel like a lot of people are just really trying to rain on their parade. And I don't know if they're trying to kick someone while they're, you know, they're, they're trying to knock them down a peg because all the movie, Marvel movies are so successful. I found them all entertaining. I, I enjoyed Quantumania. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness. I, I loved Love and Thunder, but it's like all these people are complaining and, and they're just like so angry and bitter. And I don't understand that. Anyways, I am so digressing. Um, so I enjoyed this movie. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I think with without, I can't fully say that, but I think I would say that this is my favorite Guardians movie. The first one was really good, but 
it, it you know it was a lot of setup and you know we don't know the characters and you know they they didn't have their relationships and they weren't like all like fully into immersed in the characters that they were playing the second one i don't know i i really feel like you know i i probably should i wish i would have i wish i did watch it again because for whatever reason you know like winter soldier i've seen that multiple times you know even the avengers movie i've seen those but gardens of the galaxy volume two for whatever reason i didn't and it's not that i, I hated it or did i just didn't like it but I don't, I don't know what it is i mean same thing like iron man 3 i think i mean that i know i've seen at least at least twice if not more but i don't think i've seen guardians i must have seen it at least twice i don't know but i really enjoyed this and whether it's because it was a fresh movie, you know, I just saw it or whatever, but it just made me really appreciate the team at the end. And, you know, this is the end of this version. What does that mean? I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, and, you know, James Gunn is moving on and, you know, some of these characters like uh, Gamora, you know, she's Zoe. Um, she's like, yeah, I'm kind of done. And, you know, cause they, you know, she probably doesn't want to do it do all the makeup stuff like that and the same thing with with a uh, uh, dave batista you know he he wants to do other things as well so what does that mean for the characters are they going to die whatever well, i don't know well i do know but you should see. so basically what it comes down to this this was a fun movie it's enjoyable someone i don't know if it was a critic or just consensus saying oh this is the best marvel movie since endgame because one of my students even asked me they said they heard that too and i was like yeah i heard that um i don't know if i would say it's it's a best since endgame uh, but i'm really thinking back what i miss about like the old movies is like the avengers i miss like chris evans as captain america and even even iron man and blackwood you know all those i feel like the the movies before they were all leading towards something you know they were all leading towards thanos and now we're just having like different things which i think is totally cool that you know not everything needs to be connected not everything needs to be leading to one big thing uh, i'm so surprised there's no kang in this movie to try to tie up you know kang dynasty or whatever i i feel like okay we have this huge marvel universe we should have different aspects not everything needs to be in conjunction with something else so you can have thor over here you can have ant-man over here you can have someone else over there or someone else over there you know it just makes sense that this is a big world that not everything needs to be connected so i i like that and you know especially guardians they're out in freaking space so you know they're not necessarily going to tie into something else you know whatever's happening in san francisco so i i i, I I can appreciate that but that also being said you know when all the avengers movies were kind of leading into it, and then like the end credit teasing the next thing and then we get the next movie and that teases something else you know there's something fun and exciting about that and i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we don't have it but i think that that's what maybe some people are are saying you know people i've, I've seen people complain that there's like no real direction in these phases that they're not but it's like they don't have to be you know why just do you, you know we shouldn't just have the same thing where everything leads to the big baddie at the end let's just look here look here look here and just enjoy the fact because comic books used to be like that you know now nowadays everything is always big crossovers but it used to be where everything was separate and you just get a sense of the big world and i i think we you know it's good to have that and not just follow because everyone says all the movies are the same they're not all the same so I don't know. There you go. We got some character growth, you know, character evolution. And again, this is the the end for 
some characters. Uh, it's possible, you know, it's, some p- characters have said, yeah, I, I would come back if the story was right or if, if things were right, if the money was right, probably. So we'll have to wait and see what, what happens next. And even, you know, Zoe Saldana says she's she's done. She might change her mind. You know, maybe she's like, I, I kind of miss that character because, you know, she she's pretty cool. She's she's pretty badass. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more. But if we don't, that that's fine. You know, if they resurrect her from the dead since she got her head chopped off in this one. Right. Oops. Did I say that? Edit that out. Wait, I, did I forget to edit that out? I should end this. Um, I, I, I really adored the movie. I, I thought it thought it was really good. And I, I, I do look forward to seeing this movie again. So you see it on the big screen if you can. It's it's awesome. It's it's cool. Um, there was a news report that there's like 600 versions in a movie. And that just means that it's been formatted for the different aspect ratios of different projectors and screens and stuff like that. At first, I was like, wait, you're saying that there's 600 different versions, like different scenes or Easter eggs or whatever. I was like, that's ridiculous. But no, it's a different aspect ratios and stuff i'm pretty sure so see the movie whatever theater whatever it, it should look good hopefully unless it's like an old rinky dink thing showing on the back of a building on a bed sheet or something see the movie it's good i got emotional uh you tell me if you got emotional too because i thought it was really good so that's going to be it for this week so big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about Fantastic Four, John Burns run during the 80s. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to do this. I, I'm probably going to do it again this week. I might not who knows i have to decide that like soon um and sometimes i talk about movies and sometimes i talk about comic i want to do another off my mind but i just need to figure out something and i'm always open to suggestions if you're still listening at this point if there's something you want me to talk about please you know i i would be happy to um talk about what you you know if you want to hear my thoughts on something i would do that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two that's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck what is going to be the feature next week Uh, i'm not really sure Uh, i'm looking at what's coming out there's a movie called hypnotic that's coming out i'm hoping that it'll be playing at a theater near me. I haven't, hadn't heard of it before. So um, if you haven't heard this, you should check this out. It's a, it's a, a, it's a Robert Rodriguez movie, and it has Ben Affleck in it. So it's like, okay, it's got to be playing ever. But you never know with some of these movies. Sometimes you know these, these big kind of crazy movies get like small limited releases, and they come out, then they kind of trickle out later. So I'm hoping that that'll be the the feature next week and then the the following week is a uh, fast x and then after that maybe it's gonna be a little mermaid i don't know um and then you know with tv shows i don't think there's anything new starting out so it'll be more the same um superman lois flash titans citadel will do you know the third episode even though next well, you get what i'm saying i'm not gonna go into it again that is gonna be it i hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you've enjoyed your week i hope you enjoy your coming week i hope you're doing well i hope you're taking care of yourself i hope you're taking care of others and i hope you remember to be good to each other